Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. I'm a fan of classic movies. Hello and welcome to Overlapping Dialogue, a podcast of double features dedicated to programming the finest, most eclectic, and downright bizarre film pairings and cataloging the discussions that ensue. We're your gruesome twosome, Kyle and Levi Huffman. I'm Kyle. I'm Levi. And here we are, back for... Another edition of Overlapping Dialogue. This episode, episode 74, we're looking at the cinema of 1994s. We'll continue to go through uh, the 90s. We've been oh, hitting... there's 93 in it. Yeah. Yeah. It's 1993. Yeah, 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 yeah. 94 is next episode. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry about that. I'm already wanting to jump ahead. Uh, 1993's Groundhog Day and Fearless, both... Uh, Terrific movies in very different ways. Uh, I'd say they're both one of the, some of the more spiritual movies of the nineties, mm-hmm. um, and they're both in totally the, different dispositions. Yes, that, yes, yeah. uh, and I think Groundhog Day especially is a a deceptively spiritual movie. I mean, if you just hear the premise, you don't necessarily assume that that's what it's going to be. Fearless is more explicitly yeah. in your face about it throughout the duration of the movie, um, but both terrific. Films, again, Groundhog Day kind of has a pretty big pop cultural yeah. footprint. Uh, Fearless a lot less so. I think that's one of the, you know, uh, not one of the movies that people, when they first think of the 90s, think of Fearless, mm-hmm. I don't think. But I think it definitely deserves to be way up there in terms of a movie that is talked about, which is why we're spotlighting it Yeah, today. One thing I'll say, the first time I ever heard of this movie, because there's also that Jet Li movie, Fearless, mm-hmm. which is called Jet Li's Fearless. Yeah, That way it's not confused with this uh i once was watching the uh mystery science theater 3000 movie um which is of they did this island earth and there's a part in that where they're in like a plane or something and one of their comments is our in-flight movie fearless or something which it had come out around that time so that's Mm -hmm. why they made that joke but i was like i thought they were talking about jet lee's fearless and i was like Okay, and then finally, years later, I saw this movie, and that joke made sense, and I started laughing. Uh, oh, your in-flight movie is movie about, about an air disaster. Yeah. yeah, but anyway. Uh, so that's the most I've heard this movie ever mentioned by anyone. Yeah, so, I know there's a... Yeah. We can get into this later, but I, I know... I mean, there's a, a growing fandom for Peter Weir, uh, I know, mm-hmm. online among cinephiles. Uh, for some of his more obvious movies and sort of le- lesser known, but this too, isn't but... one that's usually brought up among that, which I think is baffling mm-hmm. to me yeah. because I think it's his best film. Uh, but and he's made yeah, some other is, really good quality stuff. Yeah. But this or Picnic and Hanging Rock, but we'll get that later. But before we get into that duo, we gotta pull up a chair. We just gotta dig into that blue plate special. 
Hi, Audrey. Norma. Have a cup of coffee, please. Sure. I'll have what she's had. Big Groundhog Day smorgasbord is right here. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Jeff Bridges is over there eating uh, strawberry, yeah. choking to death. <laughs> anyway. Not there, at the beginning of the movie, though. I had kind of forgotten uh, about that scene in Groundhog Day where he's just like, well, my, who cares about anything anymore? And he's just like eating, eating everything he can in the diner, uh, chowing down big time. You, you got to wonder, too, and we'll get into the logic of that movie in a little bit. Like, at what point would you get sick and tired of the food there? You know I was I mean? thinking about that because I was like, I mean, there are other restaurants in the town, I would assume. That's kind of the centerpiece. But of it's like, that's where he keeps going. And so you'd think, yeah, that like, yeah, I don't know. But I was thinking that at one point. I get tired of eating the same stuff. Speaking of get tired of eating the same stuff, uh, comic book superhero movies today. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is something, I guess, because we need to reintroduce the segment that, Kyle, you are burning on. As we begin our look back, here is what I am burning on. Our old friend Jim Rohn. Yeah, we haven't done this. I don't even remember what we talked about the first time we did this. We do stuff like this all the time. We just forget. Yeah, right. Yeah, because we we get mad about plenty of things and rant and rave about plenty Mm -hmm. of things. Um, so the new Flash movie, I think it's coming out, it's coming out the weekend that this episode will have dropped, I believe. I I think it's, for us recording this on June 3rd, I think it's next weekend. Yeah. June 9th, I think it comes out. Where to begin with this movie? Uh, before we even get to my real true outrage, which I want to build up to for a while, um, this movie, I mean, we've talked about it here and there over the course of its production what a dumpster fire, what a disaster pit, what a piece of utter garbage uh, this has proved to be. Everything about this movie, from all the associated Ezra Miller brouhaha that has happened off-screen in the midst of its production and post-production, the fact that this movie seems to be Frankenstein beyond belief, um, I think it really it does represent insane to me. the DC EU at its breaking point. Like mm-hmm. this is it. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know that they'll make any more after the. I don't know because it really does seem like a total bankruptcy of imagination. Like it really is another level of we have no idea what we are doing. We've had no idea what we've been doing since Man of Steel. We have no clue. Really, the only like they just really don't. uh, I feel like really the only unambiguous success they've had is the first Wonder Woman movie. Was generally liked. We only saw it really the once, but we liked that first one at least. Um, Other than that, I mean, because then they've had the Batman, which is its well, yeah, that's in a whole other category. They so there's been a lot of things in Joker was its own thing. Is Aquaman not technically part of all this stuff? It's in the yeah. I'm saying DCEU. Yeah, yeah. That's oh yeah. But I'm saying oh well, Joker. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about one Academy Awards. Yeah, from Mm -hmm. that. That now they're they're honestly getting bored and they're like, all right, let's just give you what you really want. And even though I didn't like Joker at all, that is what Joker fans would want out of a movie. I think. 
it at least well at least also yeah. was its own thing yes it allowed so to exist as its that, own thing. i hate that movie and what it stands for but i'm like yeah okay that's a joker movie i feel like that's true to what it should have been well what yeah. it wanted to be yeah the batman's obviously great so that's this whole another thing but yeah, they really don't know what they're doing. I and think this the, is, I think, the biggest representation of that just disorganization. All well, I think the in last its own decade. I think in its own way that this movie is gonna because it delves into the multiverse and multiple characters and whatnot. That I think it's gonna represent for them a little bit of a, a breaking off point or a jumping off point to kind of just kind of shrug and say, well, since all these universes are colliding, we're going to do this in the future, we're going to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think kind of sort of unofficially that James Gunn's Superman movie that he's developing is going to kind of be this breaking away from that and being its own thing. And the Batman already is its own right. thing, obviously. Joker's its own thing, which they're working on a sequel to the Joker as well. Um, and we've talked about in the past Michael Keaton coming back as Batman, and we're huge Michael Keaton, Tim Burton, Batman fans. Uh, do, you want, do your iteration of it. Yeah. Let's get nuts. So taking a you line that had... see this, but my eyes were like... A line that in the closed. original movie had such life and insanity uh, is reduced to this monotone uh, dr- you know, funeral droll of a, a well, reading which is what scene. this whole thing is i mean yeah. you know at a that's certain what's point. funny about that scene is that it's one person it's like how can we outdo jack nicholson and right. it's like oh we're gonna take it here okay because all for all things considered the joker has not reached that level in that scene yet right. he's playing it relatively yeah more calm yeah as much as that can be yeah and then this happened, and it's yeah. like he's even he's like, wow, like, <laughs> this guy is crazy, like you know. So it's like a matching of wits, literally mm-hmm. happening on screen, not even between characters, even like actors. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's not going to happen here. Yeah. And I mean, literally, it's fan, it's fans, it's fan service as possible. Um. And yeah, I just so we're taking yeah. we're taking um Ezra Miller Flash. Who recently, over the last week, uh, Andy Machete, the director, has said stuff like, "Oh, um, yeah, there's no plans to recast Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller uh, has done a great job in this role. Well, yeah, We're not about what, to change that. Whatever." Which is you just know. insane, considering their off-camera behavior, which you only need to barely look up yeah. to find, because um, we won't even litigate all that here. Yeah. But that's another thing I wanted to mention before we get too far into this: is that Andy Machete is the director of this, which is, I think other than everything that's terrible about this, one of my least favorite aspects because of how much I loved his It movies mm-hmm. to the point where it's like, man, really? You're doing this now? Like, It's just not that he's ever done anything that great. I know you saw Mama years ago, which you said was fine or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. But like, it just is a shame to see somebody take an IP like It and do so well with that. And then, oh, now it's just whatever. Like, I'm just going to be part of the machine, you mm-hmm. know. Well, as if that wasn't... unless As if you weren't already part of the machine in some sort of way with ma- adapting Stephen Did you King, know but, to any extent, too, that Michael Shannon Zod is basically the villain in this? Yeah, I've seen that a little bit. Uh, I really have just done my best to just not pay attention. But I've seen some of that where it's like, what? Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So... And so... So, that, and... I think we've talked about this before, I think on air, but 
that the problem ultimately is, and I know why they're doing this, because we'll get to that in a second, but that you've said this a bunch, that The Flash, who I am by no means necessarily a fan of, I literally don't care about Flash either in a positive or negative sense. I would tend towards the negative, if anything, only because I'm just like, really, that's his superpower, is he moves fast. Okay, well, Superman can do that, so whatever. Um, but with The Flash, that it's like, really? The, the first Flash movie has to have all of this context surrounding it. Now, part of that is is because, as has been established in these previous movies, the Flash can travel between these universes because he can he, move he, so quickly. When he, right. when he basically, when he uh, he channels his force, his speed through the speed force is what it's called. Right. That that is a pair like as the strings between worlds that can bridge. Which the, okay, you know. whatever. Um, and this is kind of but, in our indirect way adapting Flashpoint comics from about right. ten years well, ago. They should have just made which a, were used as the basis for the reboot that happened with the new fifty two. Well, they should have, and they should have just done a. Flash movie, and then do this as the sequel. That would be more acceptable to me. But the fact that it's going to be so insanely top heavy on Batman, yeah, there has been enough Bat. As somebody who loves Batman, there is more than enough Batman art out there. Yes, already. I, and uh, uh, and co-sign all that. Yeah. We could take a twenty-year hiatus on Batman, and we'd take a century hiatus yeah. on Batman. Like, I mean, there's been already two full-length animated Lego Batman movies. Lego Batman is its own thing now. I forgot you know, there was even that second one. That's right. Yeah, I didn't even see that one, yeah. So. I saw the first one, but... Yeah, I mean, it's just... Uh, very... It's weird, because it's very troubling in everything I hear about it. I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. This sucks. Yeah. But, yeah, I also just don't care yeah. whatsoever. It actually is liberating to yeah. not worry about that. Mm-hmm. Um and as a huge but, DC yeah. Comics fan, I'm there myself. Mm-hmm. I've been there for a while now. But <laughs> a piece of news yeah. unveiled itself. And now this is actually, I've been looking in the past. This has been a rumor for over a year now. Uh, and it's really I recent, heard like, Yeah, it's it. kind of been on the down low. You know why I don't frequent comicbookmovie.com yeah. as I used yeah, to on a right. daily basis as I did years ago. So I'm not Well, the reason totally why is because this, what we're about to talk about, that character is no longer... Uh, as famous anymore, and so people are going to care more about, oh, look at all the Batman that are in it, rather than yeah, right. this. So, and I want to re- reiterate, the the elements I'm about to talk about are apparently in a small-slash-cameo lens, so just keep that in mind, okay? Um, there are rumors, strong rumors, that have been, I won't even say are really rumors anymore, there's enough people who have seen versions or cuts of the movie then these reactions have made their way onto Twitter from people both connected to kind of comic book movie machine and people that are not that are more critics and based or journalists right. film journalists that not only is there apparently a George Clooney cameo as Batman as of course he played Batman and Batman and Robin not only apparently does Linda Carter who, of course, played TV's Wonder Woman back in the I 70s. I haven't heard that. Uh, but, you know, by the way, just, yeah. just to interject, one of my favorite details about Inside Edition yeah. is their obsession with Wonder Woman. Oh, right, you right, watch, right, right, yeah. watch Anybody who doesn't watch Inside <laughs> Edition, watch one week. I kid you not. One week of Inside Edition, every night, only 30 minutes a piece. Yeah, yeah. 
you will find at least one reference to Wonder Woman in some form. Yeah. And it, and they will use the Linda Carter Wonder Woman music in there. And then at some sometimes point. her like doing the spin right. around the turn. I in swear there. to God. At least a month. Well, that show is also time. notorious. Um anyway. anytime they uh have any opportunity to show a clip of a TV show or a movie, they will jump at. And something that has nothing to do whatsoever with It's like you remember that? Like, do I remember TV's Wonder Woman? Yeah. No, because I was not alive. But yeah. you have made me remember it, and I mean, I knew it existed. Or like but, some, like, know. or like some very brief, forty-five second UFO story. It's like, did ET phone home? And it's just like, and then it'll have like a clip from ET and be right here. Or yeah. Something, you know, like, yeah. But anyway. Now let me anyway, just say, both of those people, and, yes. and it is good to have a little demarcation point here because it's going to take it up to a whole new right. level here in yeah. a second. Both of those people, George Clooney and Linda Carter, are both living. Mm-hmm. And so they have at least some form of agency to sign right. off or say yes, let my yeah. likeness or be used or let me even shoot something yeah. very small for that. So there is a demarcation point of that. Now, do I think it's dumb and ridiculous that that's even being pulled into this? Yes, but they have at least the agency to be alive and make that decision for themselves. We're building up to it. I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. Now, over the last so many years, there have been a lot of various controversies with regards to CGI versions of deceased individuals or de-aging. Uh, I think, you know, when Rogue One came out back in 2016, I believe that was, there was a lot of conversations yeah. about uh, Grand Moff Tarkin being in the movie, of course, looking like uh, Peter Cushing. Um, and the controversies of that. Now, at the time... And Carrie Fisher was alive at the yeah, time. Yeah, at the she very, very right end right. of Rogue One. Yeah. Uh, she had just passed away right after that, though. It was like yeah. eerily right, right around that time, mm-hmm. I remember. Um, now, at the time, you know, I was like, I didn't see or understand why so many people got mad about this. Yeah. Uh, I was like, well, you know, it's oh, it's kind of cool. Like, oh, you're seeing Tarkin in the movie. Now, now... These years later, and I've thought more about this stuff, I do think there's a lot of calls for concern for using deceased individuals to be put into your dumb new Star Wars movie just yeah. to, just because, oh, it's Grim Moff Tarkin. Like, and that leads us to the final resting place in a variety of ways for a, lot, a great many things. Adam West and Christopher Reeve. Adam West, of course, plays Batman in the 60s show. Christopher Reeve, of course, played Superman in the 70s and 80s movies are apparently going to make CGI cameos in this movie, this thing, this uh, blight on cinema that is The the Flash. What's your initial reaction or response to hearing that these icons, these people that are well-known and associated with these characters, are going to be jammed into this already jam-packed, dumpster fire of uh, work of cinema. I'm glad you let me go first because you're going to be more of the, 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 uh, you know, the venomous on this. Not that I don't agree, but uh, ultimately the pro. I mean, and I want to go here because this is the obvious place. Now, they've been trying to make this movie for a while. um, So, and it's been known they're going to make this movie since like uh, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. Like it's been a long time. That's been like since 2016. I mean, that's been a long time ago. Um, uh, you know, and quickly, even though that movie was bad, I feel like the height, truly, though, of the DCEU was the Wonder Woman theme in that. 
<laughs> Which is, you know, what? I, I wish they would use that on Inside Edition and not the Wonder Woman, but, you know, yeah. um, just for a week. Mm-hmm. You know, just for a week, they take a break from their regular Wonder Woman usage and then do that. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, they've been trying to make this movie forever. There was also so much, I remember all of this, and you, you probably remember this, I don't know, uh, all of this controversy surrounding Justice League, the Justice League movie. Mm-hmm. And that Zach Snyder, being Zach Snyder, Zach Snyder movie and the Snyder cut and all that. And um, what was so funny about that, of course, was, and I never saw Justice League, actually. I never did see it, so I don't know. You're what we call the spared. Yes. Like, like, uh, it's like a but, tribe of people right. need to be protected at all yeah. costs. <laughs> like, yeah, <I'm, laughs> I didn't do that because I had better things to do. As um, in literally anything. Anything at all. Like <laughs> stare at the linoleum on the floor. Uh, that's what I did. Um, uh, but yeah, that with that movie, what was so funny about that too, about the Snyder Cut, was that there wasn't a Snyder Cut. They You're had right. to go and shoot more things. Yeah. Yeah, that's not called a cut. That's <laughs> called uh, adding yeah. things. It's very simple. Yeah. There's this thing called addition and subtraction. Usually subtraction happens in the editing. Mm-hmm. You know, it well, doesn't go up. Movies always it, like, come down to the right. editing. But, yes, as we know, the, all the real action in a movie comes in the editing room. You know, not the writing, not the acting, not the filming. None of that matters. It's the editing of all of those things that wouldn't exist without the things. That's what matters is the editing of them. Mm-hmm. That's what's most important. Mm-hmm. Because, because to edit... You have to. You don't have to have all those. Yeah, because it turned out David Lean he didn't actually shoot Lawrence of Arabia. He just arrived right, in the editing room one day it. and it was all magically yeah, there. And right. he just decided to edit yeah. it together. Same thing with Famously. Passage to India is what I've heard. Yeah. But anyway, the point is, is that that at one time was a version of this where they were like, we have no idea what we're doing, and you know, now it's gone on a while, and the newest version of this is the reason this movie exists now. Basically, is what I'm trying to get to after all of that nonsense. But hey, look at where we are. Um, is that they had the Spider-Man No Way Home, yeah, which had all these people to come back and you, you know specifically you had the old Spider-Mans, uh, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and then you had some of their villains, Alfred Molina as a Doc Ock, I think Jamie Foxx as Electro, I right. think, uh, I think also uh, Willem Dafoe was Green Goblin, I think was in there too. probably, but so this is only really happening ultimately because of that, even though I feel like they were more on the uptick on that of wanting to do that. Yeah. Because like we've said before, DC is more into the multiverses than Marvel is, ultimately. Yeah, Marvel beat them to the punch, right. both with No Way Home, but I would even argue, go back a little further with uh, Into the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it Into, into the, the Spider-Verse? Is the first one. Yes. And then now the new one that's just out is Across the Spider-Verse, right? Something I like think. That. But yeah. that really is the beginning of this huge yes, wave right. that we've had. And so... Know? Of the whole multiverse concept yeah. in comic books being applied. And by the way, will we be seeing across the Spider-Verse? No. Yeah. By the way, I want to say on that real quickly, I do not like the animation style of that, the way it looks. I think it looks ugly. Like, I like the first one. The first one was really good. I know it's kind of overrated now, like everything is, except for Fearless, <laughs> but um, which we will get to eventually, don't worry. Um, but... Uh, this just looks awful. The, the, I saw the trailer. I was like, this looks really ugly looking. Like, I couldn't believe it. Uh, let let me like, just I, say, there's a lot yeah. of people who think it's really cool and different. Yeah. New, no, but, it's different. Know. I respect that about yeah. it. Uh, it is definitely something else. But uh, something that is new is not always great. Right, yeah. Like the GOP, the Grand Old Party. Well, sorry, the Tea Party. Yeah. That was new. 
for a little while. It was like, nah, I'm good, but thanks. Like, as um, new as in 1770s new, I guess, you know. Like tea well, party. no, I mean the new bird, the, the uh, 2010, the tea, 2010 party. tea Party yeah. was like, ooh, look at this. Yeah. It was like, yeah, this is trash because it's you know, yeah. Republicans. But anyway, um, but so now we finally get to this after all this time. And like I said, it doesn't matter whether or not you had the idea forever. You didn't do Realize it. Realize it, yeah. And so now, and this also is connected to the Space Jam movie, which we talked a lot about yet never saw. Mm-hmm. We were also spared on that one. You were part of that group uh, as well. But that, um, yeah, and now it's just what all can we slam in there for fan service? Like, I know we talked about that with these newer Star Wars movies back when those were coming out, like Force Awakens mm-hmm. especially. And about fan service. And then even Rogue One, We talk, speaking of that. But now we truly have entered a new level of fan service of look at these things. Mm-hmm. that, Which is interesting because... Ends uh, up becoming a Where's Waldo of like yeah, spot uh, Easter eggs. That's not what movies are supposed to be. Movies are supposed to be about story and experience. Mm-hmm. This isn't even a ride. If it were a ride, it would be the Hall of Presidents or something. Like, you know, but... <laughs> Not at all interesting, or including a Trump, Hillary Clinton animatronic, mm-hmm. like this. You know, yeah, it's just really stupid. I mean, it literally is Hollywood as it's at its laziest. Well, um, I think this, in many ways, is the end result of a certain era of comic book movie. Mm-hmm. I do think, um, not to say I'm rooting for the genre to get back on track because I kind of don't care anymore. Uh, this cannot sustain no. itself forever. There will have to be some turning of the page. There's going to be a what it's going to be, you know, at some or point. Yeah. there's going to have to be something different. Um, but again, like, and I agree that you know this whole multiverse concept has been building up for some time now. Um, and it, again, as a DC Comics fan, I don't read DC Comics as much as I used to, but I read plenty in my day. Um, and because Levi and I were talking about just today about like oh the whole multiverse he was saying you know so stupid and I totally agree usually yeah. it's more bad than not mm-hmm. but there are some good worthwhile examples that can be tapped however like with anything else it's just going to be look at this look at that rinse and repeat just do you know blah blah yeah now there's enough to be outraged about that and here's where we're finally we're finally at our resting place to you know. We're not the biggest, biggest fans of the Adam West version of Batman. Uh, we love the movie, like yeah. the 60s movie. The show, we're a little, you know, no. whatever on. Yeah. Um, Christopher Reeve is, is, not was a, is Superman. Okay? Mm-hmm. There have been good versions of Superman here and there that are not Christopher Reeve. I'm going to say one more time just to make sure you understand. Christopher Reeve is Superman. Okay, so to take his image, to take his likeness and pervert it and in any way throw him into this dumpster fire that is already going to inevitably have a certain destroy the legacy of Michael Keaton's Batman. Not totally, but it's going to be this asterisk that every time we watch those Tim Burton Batman movies that we love dearly, we're going to be like, at least there's going to be at least this little mini asterisk of, well... Not if I don't watch it, there won't be. Well, but even yeah. knowing it exists, this Flash yeah, thing will I be like, oh, that. that was the end result I guess, of but like, those that movies continuum. Are so, yeah. I mean, they are this idiosyncratic... I think culturally, I think culturally that's true. I think personally, 
I'm too connected and dialed into those movies to ever. Th- and we'll see. But in but the I larger popular that. memory, yes. that will oh, be yeah, connected to yeah. those. But I mean, screw screw that because everybody's and in the stupid, in, so. in the same way, the fact that there will even be a link or a footnote or anything on the Christopher Reeve Wikipedia page that connects it to this garbage is beyond insulting. It is yeah. a desecration. It is an abortion. It is a terrorist attack on the legacy of Christopher Reeve. Yeah, I think Superman. I don't know how more, many more I think, things I can point I think to. This to say is more with damaging this, towards that clearly than Batman because of the uh, popularity of those movies. Even is greater than the Christopher Reeve, the, the Richard Donner and Richard Lester movies. Um, yeah, I think that's going to be ultimately more damaging, sadly, to those movies than this. And it will have even less airplay than that will. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and that, yeah, I mean, I agree because there have been so few Superman on film. Uh, Henry Cavill was a fine enough one. Uh, yeah, Brandon Routh from Superman. Is Brandon Returns, Routh yeah. going to show up? There's a rumor that maybe about him. Too, uh, well, I would just so, assume yeah. he also you know, has appeared as uh, Superman in the uh, some of the CW shows as like a uh, like a Kingdom Come super uh, futuristic version of Superman. So he's already dipped into like right. being well, a that, meta version well, and, of it. You know, yeah, that one's really weird though too because it, Superman Returns is technically a like sequel to the first Superman, first two, right, yeah. or the first two. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, therefore, it's like, wait, so that is Christopher Reeve, but not. This whole thing is so screwed up. But that's fine. You know, whatever. Nobody remembers that movie anyway. So, it's... But, um, yeah, and even, like you said, even for all the bad things about some of the sequels of the Superman movies, the original Superman movies, he is Superman. And he was, I would assume, even for, like... And I know the second one is good. I've heard. I haven't still have not seen Superman two, which is kind of crazy. or three. No, but I've seen four. Yeah, which you know. But even for Superman three, which is supposed to be terrible, you know. Well, it's not um, good, but it's a whole other line of what a bad movie is in the eighties mm-hmm. compared to yeah. what it is now. By just let's just shove Richard Pryor in here. Yeah. Let's shove a bad Superman in here, and let it's just it at know. least has imagination um, about its badness, yeah, right? Um, but with. Even for all that, Christopher Reeve, like I said, is Superman. This also is insulting just by nature of the fact of Richard... Or, uh, sorry, Richard Lee. Richard Henry Lee? <laughs> Question mark? Christopher Lee's final years and yeah. his accident and all those troubles he went through. Even that adds another insulting factor to this to me. Because I did like him in it, Smallville and that like you know cuz he he was in that as a character but right. I mean it was very clearly him in his wheelchair Oh well, yeah, thing, but I'm I mean? just saying that like, was a character but in its own yeah, way it was not You're not to him, only you know? taking someone who is dead. Yeah. But also someone who had this unfortunate tragedy kind of last half of their life ultimately. Yeah. And that you're just going to do that? I mean, it's just all for money. I mean, that's what this is all they for. Would, they would say, we're paying tribute no, to him. No, that's not what this blah, is. Blah, 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 yeah. It literally is, you like thing, come pay. Yeah. And it's like, first, <laughs> and like I said, and I know you're such a massive Superman fan, so none of this is for me to disparage 
the fandom of Superman. But when you're already dealing with specifically those movies, which already have so few fans by now, mm-hmm. who are you appealing to there with this one? It just... Even the Lena Carter Wonder Woman has it's fans like on a, the inside think, edition. I'm trying to think like, about the know. logic of why they would do this. I think there's a weird, and this is true of a lot of modern Hollywood, there's a weird um, inadequacy problem they feel. And they feel this need to tie themselves directly to the past legacies of these things that you know, oh, my dad liked this or said it was good. Like, I'm not as familiar with it, but I want to feel I want to feel included in the legacy of Hollywood. And undeniably, Christopher E. Superman is within the, 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 you know, the levels of the legacy of Hollywood and what it means. So I think it's this weird inadequacy complex of we can't think of an actual beginning-to-end single-shot story to do with these characters. So let us, let us just jam in these past uh, versions of them as any way to make us feel adequate about our present inadequacies to tell a story yeah. beginning to end. That There's this weird uh, obsession with connecting to the past because you have no uh, complexion of what a meaningful future for yourself is. We see this sort of cynicism in politics all the time. We see this cynicism in culture all across the board. This is just yet another version of this cynicism of, hey, look at this. Look at this mm-hmm. thing from the past. We're huge lovers and fans of many things from the past, but guess what the past is? It's the past. I can go back and watch those things. Why do I want to see uh, Christopher Reeve injected into this? If anything, I want his memory as far away from this sort of thing as possible because I don't even want to see any connection whatsoever between what he meant and represented and what... Uh, basically fugitive f- criminal Ezra Miller represents for The Flash in 2023. I just don't understand why those two things need to be the least yeah. bit intermingled. Yeah. I don't understand. It's almost like uh, the way I could kind of describe it. It's almost like watching a pirated movie where they don't they haven't zoomed in on the camera <laughs> and you see almost them sitting there watching the movie on the screen <laughs> rather than just going and watching the original thing. This movie's like Watching the Burton Batman movies like that, like on a, like a pirated yeah. version, mm-hmm. uh, it's like that. But if you know, back when they used to like on Nickelodeon when they would show a movie and they would have all these little facts at the bottom, mm-hmm. almost like a commentary with the movie. It's like that. Also, we've been building because up, it's like yeah. enough new little things, mm-hmm. but like. You know. We've been building up to this for a while, but weirdly, when I talk about this movie or think about this movie, I think about this is a really, really random place to go. Like when you like play the Grand Theft Auto video games, or you watch BoJack Horseman, and what they say Hollywood is, yeah. and right. it feels so like, nah, that's not quite what it is. Come on, Sundance exists, the Cannes Film Festival exists. There are a lot of great filmmakers who are still out there making movies. Come on, it's not the biggest dumbest thing. Here we are. We finally reached the point where. These other things have kind of parodied for years about what Hollywood culture is. Uh, we're there. We've we've reached the uh, we've reached a certain end uh, of this continuum of garbage that has been piled and piled and piled and piled. You know, you know, I'm big fans of uh, uh, Sidney Lemay and his his book you know, about making movies is yeah. one of the great books about mm-hmm. uh, movies. Period. And I know towards the end of it, it was, I think, published in the early 90s. 
And he was talking about, like, all oh, these movies today, you know, Batman Returns, I think was specifically a movie he named. And I think Robert Altman in a whole other context talked about, like, Jurassic Park or some movies of the early 90s. And so that was this whole notion. Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, yeah. I think was where that was. This whole notion that Hollywood is as bad as it's ever been, you know. that That's been something, I mean, you go back to the late 20s, uh, early 30s, they were saying about what sound was going to represent for movies, you know. So this is not a new... Um, complaint. Let me just get any uh, uh, any ambiguity out of the way. Movies, uh, in a big way, are as bad as I can ever think that they've been. When it creates and and fosters something like this, that's going to be in any way the least bit successful. Does that mean that there are not great movies being made today? Absolutely not. There are a lot of great movies, movies that we're excited for. There's going to be a period in July where there's like you know we're going to have a new Tom Cruise Mission Impossible movie. Now you could say, well, that's well, that's just some big dumb action movie. Like those are really well made, really great. And then also uh, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. So there are things on the horizon that. Uh, well, I'm semi interested yeah. in seeing Barbie. I, mean, I know you're not. Am a- I interested in seeing Barbie? Yeah. Uh, it's called Hell Yeah, but no. I want. Well, we're gonna we're gonna eventually have a conversation about that movie and what it means for some mm-hmm. of these very same problems. We'll have that at a later date. Um. But so there are things on the horizon that do give me hope, right? Jonathan Glazer has a new movie out this year. That alone gives me hope that cinema will subsist and Scorsese's survive. Scorsese, of course, has. So when I say that movies are as bad as they've ever been, don't make don't think that I'm saying that there are not great movies still out there being made. There are. But what the hell? What is this Flash movie? What does it represent? Like, well, also, dot, this dot, movie's dot, being released mark. in the midst of the the writer strike that's going on in yeah. Hollywood right now and that whole idea of can we just get AI to write movies. Well, this is what happens. This is what, it, I mean, not I not literally, but unofficially is what happens. So the, both of those combined yeah. that's the atmosphere of this. definitive disaster for Hollywood, I think. Because for a little while, up until the last about two months, honestly, I was a lot more... Um, Optimistic. Optimistic. And there have been some really great about things about Hollywood this year, yeah. since COVID mm-hmm. due to an increase in, I think, uh, numbers of going to the movies and also of, you know, just uh, viewership in the theaters has gone up some. Uh, and also just the types of movies that were being Bo's Afraid was released in a multiplex yeah. in Hickory, North Carolina. And I, I really don't think that those things are quite as um, dire as we might make them sound. In the immediate, but I think eventually uh, that will just become more and more of a problem as AI uh, just gets worse and worse. I mean, did you see here recently on Twitter they had put together these videos of like John Lennon like talking about the song Imagine and it was like an AI? Did you see that? I don't think I did. No, Uh, it was as bad as you could imagine it being. It basically looked like Harry Potter, but. John Lennon, sort of, and it was like the most basic John Lennon voice. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I mean, it, and it's interesting because the way people talk about this stuff is just so weird because it's like you can so tell that's fake. It, you know, yeah, you can see right through it. I mean, there's been a lot of these AI things done with Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson makes Lord of the Rings. Now that's kind of interesting Anderson just makes... to see an image of that. Yeah. But I know, but I get it as this is just a joke. I'm moving on now. Yeah. 
But, yeah. And Wes Anderson does Star Wars, all this stuff. And a lot of people, rightfully so, were bashing this idea and saying, no, like, you watch a real... Wes Anderson movie, yeah, too. Yeah, which has been getting great reviews, mm-hmm. and we're really excited for that yeah. coming out this month, so expect to hear about that soon. But, um, you know, like, you cannot... Ex- I mean, there are all these things that are, quote, Wes Anderson-y. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are always, even in the movies we don't necessarily love, unexpected things that no computer can come up yes. with. You know why? Because it's not a human being, and it doesn't have the... The the brilliance, the biases, the problems, the artistry that a human being can create. Okay, so um, I see uh, computers as similar to that of animals, um, and I think of it in the same way. Is that um, the and why I'm a, ultimately I'm, well, I'm a spiritual person because I was raised as a spiritual person, but also what I think about is the difference between human beings and animals is the create the creativity of the mind. Now, yes, can animals create certain things? I mean, like, yeah, they can move sticks around or something. I don't know. Like, uh, But that's the difference, I think, and also that human beings have souls and animals do not. I think that's pretty definitive. I know a lot of people probably wouldn't agree with that, but whatever. They're all kooky weirdos anyway. So, um, yeah, I think it's the same thing where it's like the human mind cannot really be replicated because it was created by God. So, therefore can't really make a computer do those things. And guess what? If you do, who made it do that? A human being, which has a mind that can make things do. So computers can't make computers. Eventually, it's just, no. And a lot of people are saying, oh, well, you don't know. Things have advanced so much. It's like, no, I feel like there are basic things about humanity that cannot be, we still don't understand the human mind. Do you Mm -hmm. think we can make it one? Like, Yeah. yeah, it's all just stupid, so... Uh, that you'll all see. But again, when, you know. about the Wes Anderson thing real quick. Yeah. Uh, like you take a movie like Grand Budapest Hotel, which there are certain aspects that I like. Um, I don't totally love the movie. Uh, I respect deeply what it's trying to go for. You just think about like the um, the weird rushing nesting doll structure of that movie. No computer would come up with something like that. You know what I mean? And like, I'm not even totally and sold like, on it works. Yeah. But... It has the faults in a lovely way that a human being creating and structuring a story. Yeah, it's like how Tom Wilkinson's character in that is like yelling at the kids behind him, like "Be quiet" and stuff like that. You don't get that. Wasn't he like the older Jude? The older Jude Law, who's barely in the movie, anyways. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's like like I said, that's too weird. Like it, it and just, like, Saoirse yeah. Ronan having a like a birthmark of Mexico on her face, like which yeah, annoys me. Or that kind of does seem like something you'd see in a computer, but, but I, I don't yeah. know. But so um, now, if it were Panama, that would be something else. Now but you Mexico, might you might be uh, thinking, how do we get from talking about the Flash to talking about AI? I think it's very smart that yeah. you brought this up because it's literally it's all the same. It's the same problem. Yeah. Let's just throw something well, together. Let's just rinse and repeat. Yeah. Copy and paste. We live in the copy and paste era. If anything, that's what the 21st century is going to probably be known as. The copy and paste era. Now, whether or not we're going to hit Control-Alt-Delete on the whole thing, that's a we'll see about that. We don't know yet. But, again, that, that's there's a very clear direct line. I'm glad you mentioned that about AI and the writer strike because... And this goes all the way back to the early history of Hollywood. Irvin Thalberg had one of the great quotes of all time, which I don't agree with what he's saying here, but it, it tells us a lot. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember exactly what he said, but he so- said something along the lines of, the writers are like the most important 
forces in this industry we have, never let them know that. Never tell them that. And that's that's literally where Hollywood is right now, where it's like, oh, actually, we think we can do this on our own. Oh, wait, it's made by a computer, if literally and figuratively? Well, who cares? I care about stories human beings make. Even if human beings are fallible, even when human beings make mistakes, I'd have a, I'd have a story over a human being 100 out of 100 times before I'd want a computer to tell me a story. So, there you go. The computer that wore tennis That's you. the Flash coming out June 9th, mm-hmm. by the way. It'll be on the date <laughs> of this If you see day. it, you're going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, not necessarily, but not necessarily. Don't worry, God dot, forgives dot, all dot. sins. But get to but, praying after. <laughs> but you better be prayed up, as Mark Wahlberg once said. Yeah. Uh, you see, by the way, yeah. that whole ad that he had, it was like on Ram Memorial Day. Was that like, we got your back or whatever? It's like, like what? Like yeah. you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, whatever yeah, that yeah. was, and it was just, and he's like, I guarantee. And it was like it stayed on him a little too long. The the yeah. shot and it was just like is this gonna end or like speaking of endings he, you know he is somebody that genuinely scares me yeah he's like, probably gonna run for office one day or yeah. something oh, yeah. yeah that'll be Patriots Day indeed yeah speaking of endings succession oh yeah you'll I'll yeah cause first of all let me say I have not watched the last season of succession because I had literally anything else better to do um and this comes off a season that was fine Mm-hmm. But no, you've been. Uh, oh, where were you at like Succession season one, and how did that change over the course of the show? For I love the first episode. A lot of people did. A lot of people. Yeah. The, the the kind of the rap on the story or the show is, oh, it took halfway through the first season for it to quote figure out what it was, which a lot of people say about a lot of shows. Um, and then ever since, kind of by the end of season one, it's been definitely a certain thing, a certain vibe. And you've been no. less on board with yes. that since. No, I liked it better when it was goofier. I liked it when it was more Adam. Didn't take itself so seriously. I liked it more when it was the big short, which I'm not even that crazy about as a movie. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, Adam McKay gets a really strangely bad rap these days, which I don't really understand. I know that movie Don't Look Up was supposedly not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, We're both big fans of ours. There's a lot of movies that are supposedly not good yeah. that people think are good. Yeah. So. Um, no, Succession I find to be a very intriguing, often funny, whole bunch of nothing. Um, and that sounds like that's what it was. It's essentially, ending, so. you know, over these several years, inherited the 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 9 p.m. HBO drama. Like, that. what that entails, right, in terms of whether it be The Sopranos or Game of Thrones, one of those appointment-level shows. Do you know what its ratings peaked at this last episode? 2.9, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like right under 3 million people. Mm. Um, Which I think a lot of Twitter was like, wait, what? Was that low? Well, everybody I know watches it. You know, that whole kind of bubble thing. Let me just say, I've been a casual, half-hearted fan of the show, and what I mean by that is I've mostly liked it. I will say, by the last season, it became the show in many ways you were talking about, or not it became, but it it, uh, it confirmed that the show that it was mm. by it essentially, uh, spoilers here from here on out if you've not seen the show, 
Um, Logan Roy, who's the patriarch played by Brian Cox, died early on or in about in the middle, maybe. I don't remember exactly. Of this about season. A third. Yeah, maybe it a third, maybe. Like to me, of this season. And so that was kind of a shocking episode uh, going into well, that. sat in Nashville, right? Yeah. When we were on a Nashville yeah. trip. I woke uh, up, I was like, what happened? The old Logan Roy died. I was like, yeah. Okay. Succession. Yeah. The, yeah. the name of the show. Uh, it's funny because that kind of supposed to happen at the end of the first episode. Yeah. Uh, of the whole show. Yeah, yeah I've kind of totally uh, forgotten yeah. about that. And yeah. uh, our cousin Philip had been going back and rewatching it. He said, uh, like, he was talking about all these things about season one that had been so glazed over and forgotten right. about mm-hmm. and nobody remembers yeah. anymore. Um, and so then it became about the Mad Dash. Who will be the next CEO? And I think on my most... I've op- been doing the whole show. Yeah, essentially. But yeah. It, it finally right. became real in a way that it was more hypothetical sometimes in the past. Um, my glass half full version of the show always up to that was, well, it'll be about more than that. It can't just be about that. Then it just becomes a math problem, right? Yeah. Well, I do think overall this final season was pretty good. I do think this final episode, while it made sense where every character ended, was abrupt to say the least. Um, and kind of was literally like the culminating climax of the show was happening in, say, like the last 10 to 15 minutes. I mean, it was right up to the wire in terms of how it will, quote, end in that meaningful yeah. way, you know. Um and I won't say it's like one of the worst finales ever or anything like that. Uh, but it is one of the most puzzling, abrupt finales I've seen. Like I said, I think what happened to all the characters where they end up makes sense. Uh, where Tom Wham's Gam or Wham Bam, thank you, ma'am, whatever yeah, his name Wham is. Yeah, Wham Bam, thank you, uh, Space Man. I think. Space Jam or whatever. Yeah, right. He ends up as the CEO. And I Wham mean, Bam, thank you, Space Camp Jelly Jam. Like. <laughs> And uh, I think that makes a lot of sense for as far as the journey his character undergoes and the relationship he had with Logan over the years. Um, But the whole thing kind of added up to what I said. It was a math problem. It was like, oh, so this person was the CEO and these other people were not the CEO. Okay. Now, any criticism I have about any of this, let me just say, is uh, wholly on another plane of criticism that exists for something like The yeah. Flash, because that's without any redeemable characteristics or features. There was that a whole be, conversation. That, that whole thing is kind of like what Max Katie wants to refer to as entering the ninth circle of hell. Yeah. <laughs> the circle of traitors, you know, that kind of thing. But anyway. Uh, but it, there was a whole. Well, you can weigh in on this too, as somebody who watched the first three seasons. A whole, should we, quote, root for these people? Or should we, quote, like, is it worth having a show about these millionaire, billionaire types when there's so many other stories to be told? Or is this just simply another prestige drama about the wealthy and powerful? How did, what did you think about that as far as your own relationship to the show, as far as the worth of depicting people like that? I always saw myself as more of an observer rather than... You, you didn't have any uh, sort of emotional connection no, to any of the characters, no. really. Yeah. I thought they were funny. Mm-hmm. Um, just like I think Trump is funny, in quotes. Yeah. Um, he's hilarious, yeah. actually. Um, 
That's not a compliment. Yeah. Uh, the uh, I don't really like my politicians to be hilarious. By the way, just yeah. you know, just so you know. You don't want them to have a good like top fifteen at the comedy store. Is what you're no, I don't want them. <laughs> it's to not be, important. I don't to want them to be on SNL and be like, "Used to call me on the cell phone." <laughs> like, um, that's I think that might literally be the worst thing ever broadcast. And there's been a lot of awful things on TV. There's that guy who shot himself on the air that right. one time. Uh, yeah. Which one are you talking about? The guy that got in trouble for everything, yeah. and yeah. Or the guy that Brett Bear get off it, get off it, get off it. I was talking about uh, the first thing. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, where are we at? Oh, should so, we should we care about a root for these people? No, or, and, and or I, is it the yeah. shows like is it the shows pro, uh, at fault for even depicting these people? I would say no. No, because I mean, there's shows like this all the time that our mom watches, similar to that are like the Tudors or uh, the uh, um. The Bridgerton, the Bridgerton, or, like, or the Medici, or yeah, all yeah. these like shows about palace uh, entry, right? Yeah. Well, it's essentially what this is. And a lot yeah. of people compare this to Shakespeare. Yeah, how dare they? Yeah, <laughs> I think it, it. Well, I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. I think it is Shakespearean in its use of vulgarity, of modern vulgarity. Yeah, uh, the way it's written yeah. is like very, but it's very obviously that. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It, it's very. It's like he wants to be Pinchon or something. Mm-hmm. It's like very, uh, look at this vocabulary we have created. Like, yeah. You know, and, uh, ooh, uh, uh, <laughs> it's like what Nico Bellic once said. I go on my computer to play Mr. Richman and, you know, whatever. Um, but it's, I think any uh, show kind of after a point settles in and, quote, finds its voice in terms of yeah, dialogue. and that's fine. And that, this uh, felt yeah. very locked into that, though, in yeah. a way that never was dynamic to a point no. either. Yeah. It's very like... Uh, um, FF Donkey Gang, like yeah. stuff like that. It's just like, <laughs> right, uh, right. Uh, but I would so, just say I love Fisher. St- all my yeah. favorite characters in the show are always the wormy, like the Fisher Stevens. Like I can't even remember. They're, they're the, two old guy, white guys. Yeah, the like, guy that's the villain in Safe, and then the guy that is in Burn like, After Reading. Burn After Reading and United Nine. And there's Jerry played by oh god, uh, J Smith Cameron. Yeah, J Smith Cameron. Yeah, but so. To me, the show, I feel like, was it its most interesting and yet its most obvious when they had the Eric Bogosian hearing stuff yeah. where they came before the Senate hearing on yeah. whatever. Yeah. And it felt very like, oh, okay, this is trying to be a whole Trump era show. Yeah. yeah. And I was looking at my watch and I was like, okay. Yeah. And that's also there was a whole election always, thing went on this right. last season. And that there. was a whole thing that was also similar about basically implying that Trump was the president at different points. Yeah. Um, and then this was also in the in the aftermath of the whole Fox News. Uh, what's the name of the guy that was the head of Fox News forever? Rupert Murdoch. S O B. No. Oh, uh, no. Uh, Roger Ailes. Roger Ailes, and it is about Rupert Murdoch. Well, the to family the too, is, yeah. but yeah, but Roger Ailes and kind of that whole. What is news media and it's a lot of things I'm profoundly yeah. I'm profoundly disinterested in. Just I I I I don't know. It's like I feel this way the way that a lot of people wrongly felt about Vice. I think where it's like, well, I knew how bad it was. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you did <laughs> actually. By the way, I don't think we totally all knew how bad all this was. Yeah. By the way, um. But you know what I mean? It's yeah. like people go back and say, "I knew, I knew that 
uh, I knew exactly that he was running everything. Yeah. So I, and I don't think that was that clear in the moment at yeah. certain points, maybe. But yeah, it's like so I feel that way about this, where I'm like, yeah, I know how bad Fox News is. I know how bad the news media is. I have watched enough of it to tell. You don't have to be that smart. So it's kind of just taking that and then wanting to be this big operatic drama where people say poo poo pee pee and whatever. FF Donkey you know, Gang. FF Donkey Gang. And yeah. Bore on the floor. Yeah, that, uh, that was the episode I remember watching in the moment and being like, what's yeah. going on? Like, I, I, do, I will say, I think so, the best aspect of this show were the performances, the acting yeah, on the show. I yeah. think particularly. Um, Oh God! The guy who plays Tom. What's his name? McFadden. McFadden. Timothy McFadden or McFadden. He was really great. I yeah. think in one of the performances mm-hmm. of the show. Yeah. Um. I didn't really like at all Roman, no. uh, played by Kiernan Culkin. But I think the performance He's is fun. very dialed in to yeah. what that person and character yeah, yeah. is. You know, Jeremy yeah. Strong. Uh, I thought was good as well. He's good, but he kind of sleepwalks through half the show. There's kind of that whole middle point his whole character i just don't understand fundamentally i liked him better the way he was in the first season where he was like at times would be that way and kind of show his true nature yeah but other times would be all you know destroying bathrooms that sort of stuff you know like i was more interested in him at that point at a point he entered the i'm gonna sit by the pool and just like uh deteriorate like you know yeah. that whole kind of attitude i'm just so let me say also that i was more into this show as it went than i'm acting like i am now yeah. but it got to a point where the new season was going to come on and i was like do i want to stay up till 10 o'clock on a sunday night a lot of people were like was that statement even mean i work for a living mm-hmm. i don't know what y'all do i'll go to work i go to school every day and teach children don't really want to stay up till 10 o'clock on a Sunday night when I have to get up at 5.15 every day yeah. because I like sleep and like not feeling like a caffeinated uh, booze hound you yeah. know, like everybody else. Whatever that means. Maybe that could be in the next, in the succession spinoff show. They yeah. use that. After party show. Yeah. After show party. After succession. Yeah. It's like after match. Yeah. Um, talking succession. Talk. <laughs> Talking the talking Roy, I don't know. <laughs> um, Waystar Royco. Now we were big fans of that. Connor uh, Connor Roy. Uh, yeah, I always liked Connor a lot better for multiple reasons. Number one, he was the oldest. Not that that means anything. Alan Ruck, we love him. Number two, it was Alan Ruck, and three, he was even though he wanted to run for president, and that was kind of ridiculous. That played was a role the most different yeah. of the group. Yeah, he clearly was. Um, yeah, and didn't most care. outside. He had a different yeah. mother too. That was part of it. Yeah. But so all this is just to say, I feel like we're all just talking in circles here. Uh, it's pretty talking big, bu- Roy. but it's talking pretty Roy big Roy. bunch of nothing when I hear what the show ultimately ended up being, mm-hmm. which is just like all these people are soulless and care well, about money. And I'm like, well, I knew well, that like at it the beginning. Said, it, so, it turned out to be the math problem. It was like, yeah. oh, so so and so did this for this person, and this person wronged this person here. So two plus two equals four. Okay. That's the that's the end of the show, you know. Uh, I know this. Uh, kind of like what Game of Thrones felt like in a certain yeah, way by the end, yeah. too. So, uh, and I've got two final thoughts. One, um, will we ever get to a show like uh, Mad Men or The Leftovers again, where the emotional climaxes or catharsis are about either who am I. 
or will I believe the truth that this other person is telling me? Like, that's humanity. That's, like, novelistic, right? All these other things, even a great show like The Sopranos, the greatest show of all time, Will Tony Die, which I know even David Chase was annoyed by, you know, mm. and is, is on ways trying to get around yeah. that. Um, or Breaking Bad, like, Will Walt Live or Die? Uh, you know, there's all these live, die, live, die. Does this person get the job? Will Don Draper be happy? Yeah, because that was a, the or, fundamental question that was at or the will this relationship be repaired? Right, and the because that's what I think about with that. It's like you think about what both those shows are about: about advertising in New York in the nineteen sixties, and then the leftovers, which is about uh, the rapture in yeah. New York. Mm-hmm. Well, state everywhere, York, but yeah. specifically starts in the state of New York. Those shows, okay. So one that is a, that first thing about Mad Men ends in a uh, hippie Sir, meeting room in Big Sur. Mm-hmm. The emotional climax of that. Uh, with the, uh, only one character that uh, speaks. Well, mostly, well, know. also one character that we've been with for most yeah, of the show. Everybody right. else in the show is literally only that one episode. Yeah, and the guy who yeah. provides the emotional catharsis, the emotional catharsis of that, is somebody who is only in that scene. Yeah. Um. Then you have with the leftovers, uh, these people getting back together after many years in a, a little house in Australia and talking mm-hmm. about, am I lying? Mm-hmm. What happened to me? Yeah. It's just like. That's what storytelling is. Like yeah. you said, that's what humanity actually is. That's the thing that doesn't interest me, and I think why both Game of Thrones ultimately proved to be a failure and why this has proved to be a failure is because it's about the operatic side of things, the who will be in control. Well, guess what? Both in the sense of, and I know a lot of people say, well, that's not really how the world works. No, I'm sorry. I'm not talking about your realpolitik Henry Kissinger view of the world. Well, I'm, talking about, version of the world. I'm talking about the real world, yeah. which you sometimes claim to live in. I'm talking about where human beings... Yes, yeah. yeah, sorry, you failed. You actually became human for two seconds. Now, I'm talking about the real world, which is where there are no longer kings, there are no longer companies that... that there are companies, but like I'm talking about real people. This is where things happen. Those things only happen in the background, and people say, oh, well, they have control over lives. Yeah, but though, but I'm not interested in the lives of the people that control me, supposedly. I'm interested in, in people like me. So, therefore... Or people that are, constitute the majority of the right. population. You know. So, therefore, all that doesn't exist anymore mm-hmm. as reality. Yeah. We've gone beyond that. I'm not interested in those people anymore. I'm interested in us, mm-hmm. everybody else. So That's what I'm saying. The, yeah, the, the yeah. realities of both of those finales just seem so... Uh, beautifully obsolete compared to most mm-hmm. the way most shows what the stakes of them are. Again, even shows we like like Sopranos, Breaking Bad, Boardwalk Empire, even Better Call Saul. Will it get caught? Like you know, and that was a great show. That was a little bit I mean? different like, because but, it was like about other things at a point. But but know. again, like the final scene. But spoiler: Twin Peaks Batman, obviously doesn't go into any that's of this. T- that doesn't even qualify yeah. for this conversation. Um. Because it's really great. No, yeah, so, yeah I'm not trying to like, say it ain't. No, great, I know, yeah. but I'm saying, yeah. Oh no, we want to. It's a whole that. other thing. Right. Um, but the Deuce was a little bit different. That was another one that was yeah. like yeah, kind of those things, but also about the history of a city. Yeah, and so at a certain point, even I'll say the Wire that. mostly because it was kind of sort of canceled is not like right. these other shows either. But that's different. Magic City. Uh, no, just kidding. We're not gonna talk about that. But anyways, yeah. and all of that leads me to my second point, which actually it dovetails nicely into that. 
And I, I'm going to preach the gospel of Lodge 49 for as long as my breath allows me to. Okay, This show came out right around the same time Succession did. They literally are like uh, polar opposites of shows. Okay, mm-hmm. One is about the rich, ultra-powerful elite. Who will win? One's about a guy who frequents between this and that, like temp service, okay? About what what's my job going to be today? What's my job going to be next week? Where am I going to live? Uh, and then, oh, let me go and join this, like, basically Masonic Lodge to find some sense of purpose in a life where I do not have any purpose, right? Oh, maybe there is something there. Turns out not really. But that is such a beautiful show that's funny, but also very serious in what it's about. That represents to me what America is in the 2010s and 2020s. And again, it came out right around the same time, and that only lasted for like two seasons. I think it was not even getting like a million people an episode towards the end. I mean, it was pretty bad ratings-wise. What a great show. Seek out Lodge 49 if you're sick of the successions of the world basically dominating all the conversation. And the show did have fans out there, but... Very, very small amount. So. Let me say that, that there are a lot of shows like that now that attempt to be what you're saying, so don't... Uh, oh, that just reminds me of another thing the, we need to talk about. Okay. Um. Oh, yeah. Which actually um, would fit in, I think, to an antidote to some of these problems, yeah. too. But so there's a lot of these shows, though, like on HBO, for example, like those shows, and all these sound good from what I've heard. I don't know, but like Girls, Insecure. Um, there's a lot of Showtime shows about things like this too. Mm-hmm. Euphoria. Where they claim to be about real people, but they're like New York and LA people mm-hmm. who are like, I'm trying to make rent. And it's like, well, your parents are like millionaires or something. Yeah. You know, it's something like, oh, we go to this school or we do this. Or, yeah. You know. um, or that's not really true you know mm-hmm. um where something like lodge 49 i assume that's is in like long beach california actually about and you know, whatever you know but is actually about people let me just read you, you know. real quick what the plot for lodge 49 says on the wikipedia page mm-hmm. uh amc describes the series as a modern fable set in long beach california about a disarmingly optimistic local ex-surfer dud played by white russell who's drifting after the death of his father and collapse uh collapse of the family business in the final season, Dud joins a fraternal order known as the Order of the Lynx, hoping the Lodge could put him, quote, on the path to recover the idealistic life he's lost. And his sister's a big character in the show. And then this um, older black man who kind of becomes his friend. Um, what's his name? Ernie, I think. Ernie Fontaine, plumbing salesman, member of the Lodge. I think so, yeah. But uh, And there's a lot of relationship stuff that happens with him and another member of the Lodge and that they used to have a thing anyways only two seasons and 20 episodes so all i'm saying is try to check it out i I just really those shows will forever be like lodged no pun intended in my head together because they came out right around the same time and one got all the fanfare and was the hbo show amc now exists in a very strange place in terms ever since the ending of mad men and breaking bad into the badlands uh like what of these shows Uh, that come and go and have not really had any and again this is an example of a really great one i thought they got made and of course they're going to make well breaking bad well sorry better Better call Saul was kind of the last one and then now that walking dead's over even that is yeah. yeah it's confusing 
So but. check it out. Like I said, I forgot about this. We were meaning mm-hmm. to talk about this. Uh, and I think this is a weird bridging of the gap, actually, of these two worlds of TV. Because I think this is one of the few shows that... as much that, as I love it, I think it does fall into some problems we'll talk about in a bit with a lot of TV and movies in general uh, that plague us now. But for the most part, does... Well, I mean, specifically with class, that it does yeah. depict high class uh, a little bit, but also those of a lower class. And yeah. that divide, I think, feeds what the show's ultimately and about. And both low class, yeah, ultimately. Yeah, both the ultimately. lowest class, <laughs> as a matter of Beef, fact. Beef uh, on Netflix... Which uh, has been getting really good reviews, I know. Mm-hmm. And we were like, oh, yeah, we need to maybe check that out just to give you a quick rundown of what it's about. Who created it again? It was uh, Lee Sung Jin. Yeah, Lee uh, Sung Jin. So it's very much a South Korean kind of show in a lot of ways, even though it's in Los Angeles. But yeah. It's, yeah. Um, the main, the you know, two main cast members are Stephen Yoon, who plays a character named Danny Cho, and then Ali Wong. Stand-up comic plays Amy Lau. Uh, they basically the whole thing starts literally like the first or second scene, a road rage incident between these two people, and how that spirals into the feud of the century. Basically, and how these two people who come from again Danny Stephen Yoon's character is this very as it describes here on Wikipedia down on his luck contractor, uh, and then Ali Wong's uh, Amy Lau, small business owner. She kind of has this artistic sensibility. Yeah, but then she's getting like bought out by a bigger company. Bigger yeah. company. She has a husband and a daughter. Um, and he was like, had his parents had owned this hotel, and there was this whole long story about like something crazy that happened there involving his cousin, who's like this big criminal idiot like yeah. guy. And how that all, and he's trying to make enough money to get them to come back and open a new hotel in America because they went back to Korea. Now we don't regularly watch a lot of shows that drop on Netflix just because there are so many that come and yeah. go, and not a lot that look like they'd be of interest this is to made us. Made by A twenty four too, so yeah. So there was that about yeah. it. Um, I love this show. This is one of my probably my favorite new shows I've seen in so many years. Um, how it's both very funny, but also about some very big, serious things about today. It's probably one of the better Netflix shows I've seen since probably Maniac um, yeah. that I can think of. But And how both depict anger and how, you know, not only people of different classes are uh, manifest their anger, but also just these two specific idiosyncratic characters, um, yeah. how they each do it. And also the show's in a big fundamental way about Asian Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen Yoon's he's of you know, Korean heritage. Uh, Ali Wong is, I believe, of Vietnamese uh, heritage, I believe. Uh, her husband was ja- Japanese, I think, yeah. right? So, so the show's kind of, you know, that's not like always the main thing about the show, but that's something that gets brought up. Um. Yeah, she's of Vietnamese mm-hmm. uh, heritage and also Chinese. Um, so I just I just really love this show. It was kind of a breath of fresh air to me. Um, Stephen Yoon has been is suddenly one of our best actors in terms of the choices he's been making over the last so many years. Um, we're big fans of the movie Burning, you know, mm-hmm. and we never did see Minari, but I heard that was really good that he was in that. Um, what about this show appealed to you in terms of what it means and represents as far as as a new TV show? Well, partly just the randomness 
of it. I yeah. think it was just very much like, wait, what? Like, it was just a road rage show. And it's like, okay. Um, but I think it's just, first of all, it's literally one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Yeah. Like, it is just consistently It really funny. appeals to our sense of humor, uh, too. I yeah, know. it's very yeah. random. Yeah. Like, and it's not as, like, it feels like every scene would be the funniest scene in anything, but it's every scene yeah. is that. Now, as the show goes on, it becomes a little bit more dramatic, and it's a little less yeah. funny, and we'll talk about that in a little while, about why I think that's kind of a problem at yeah. a certain point. Um... But the yeah, I think that uh, it's just really funny and but really dark in a lot of ways too. And I mean, it literally starts with this isn't exactly a spoiler because you find it out very soon. It literally starts with the main character trying to buy grills so he can kill himself in his house. He's like gonna have them all and then uh, basically asphyxiate yeah. himself. And that he's mad because then he can't turn them back in because they're they won't do it basically. Yeah. And the guy's like, you've been in here a bunch of times over these grills. Like, I don't know how many more times we're going to allow you to return these. And yeah. he's kind of like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and, like, and just the fact that he, like, his way to deal with stress is to go and eat, like, a bunch of Burger King. And he, like, goes to this specific <laughs> Burger King and then drives out to this, like, area. Plus, there's uh, wanting to buy a lot of land. Right, which is yeah. eventually where he does. And yep. he goes there and he eats it all and he calls people on the phone angry about stuff. And it's interesting to see, like I said, him deal with that and then her dealing with it in a totally different way. Mm -hmm. um, and both of their manipulations of their own situation, how he becomes involved with this church group that's this Korean Christian yeah. church, and then her just uh, in the midst of that merger and all these things. and and yeah, Long story like, short, she gets involved with his brother that has right. like an affair with him. Yeah. yeah. And they go to Vegas for a while. Yeah, there's all you gotta love anything that has a Vegas interview. right, and and uh, you know, uh, and all the X Men related <laughs> stuff in there. That's probably one of the funniest jokes I've ever seen. Anything is like all these words that are real like first class new. Hey, this is the new X Men. Like, <laughs> and uh, and that guy was any scene that guy was in was hilarious. That what, what's that actor's name? Uh, he I was heard his there was, cousin. I, uh, I heard there was some Me Too stuff that might have happened with him. Oh, that's a shame because uh, he was really funny. David Chloe, yeah, uh, is Isaac Cho was his character's hmm. name. Okay, I don't know all the details. Yeah, of that. I don't know. I haven't even heard that. Yeah. Um, let me just say this: based on the performance, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, but if that's true, um, yeah. But no, I just really, really liked it a lot. I also liked the last episode, which was kind of almost an epilogue, yeah. in a way, to everything that had happened. Um, but that was one thing that we kind of criticized about the show, first of all, is that it, it feels very A24-esque about what it is. Yeah. Um, and while being about class, in a lot of ways, is about the upper class a lot, too. And so that's kind of, what does it say? rape comments on uh, his podcast okay yeah. so um, apparently he said he engaged in rapey behavior rapey behavior um he then said oh it was entirely a work of fiction he said so it was just a joke that he shouldn't have made uh, or maybe not yeah anyway uh we'll look about this later uh the, at the end it did, like you you said this i remember you were like yeah kind of kind of getting tired of things that feel like i have to build up to something like some oh this it's got to build up to a shootout right. or this big and physical cathartic 
you know, d- divide between characters. Right, you know? which is whatever. I mean, yeah. But, but yeah, that's something I kind of agreed about. I was like, But yeah, the epilogue, I think, was... It kind of ends on a semi-shocking note, but was a chance for these two characters to have to be around each other and kind of not exactly totally reconcile with each other, but to have a sort of a yeah. reconciliation that happens. Also, you know? Yeah. Also, awesome soundtrack. We yeah. talked about that multiple yeah. times. That about was, All of them. Genuinely was, good songs, and yeah. also just like this fits this moment of yeah. how stupid this is. I mean, to end the whole show with Smashing Pumpkins as mayonnaise is just so random. <laughs> but uh, also that Bjork song that was in the at the end of the penultimate. Yeah. Well, it's like very... Oh, and they're like gigging each other driving yeah. and mad and, uh, yeah just hilarious um, great show but yeah very good show <laughs> so that's on Netflix yeah. uh, I, I think yeah there's going to be more seasons of it I think uh, yeah I do wonder if that's going to be like you said almost like an anthology thing where it's different beefs or if it's the same thing I don't know I'd be interested to just see different yeah. just because I'm like I don't know what you yeah, I mean, do I, I, I totally love this and I think it could easily kind of stand as its own because the thing, the risk you know? that they're going to run is to have the cousin break out of prison mm-hmm. and that be a well, whole well considering whatever controversies he's got going on right. they could even write him out of it yeah, fairly I don't easily because that would be the easiest thing to do is just like oh he's back like yeah. and just He's back in this fish out of water comedy, like or some crap. Yeah, uh, but I think this could yeah. really work as its own standalone thing. And now, if they make more of it, then right. I, if it's good, then sure. Mm-hmm. But this just feels like its own special little thing yeah. that I'd be content if that was it. But so that's beef. Check it out on Netflix. Now, speaking of beefs. Jeff Bridges got a beef with God. We'll see if he can get to the bottom of it. <laughs> you think you can kill me, but you can't. I mean, yeah. Here's um, the trailer. For Fearless. You okay? Were you in the crash? No. There was no earthly reason why Max Klein survived the crash of Flight 202. You're alive. Why didn't you call me? I thought I was dead. But it left him with a heightened sense of reality. I think he thinks he's invulnerable. I've seen him with the Vietnam vets. You want to kill me, but you can't! And an extraordinary sense of life. He and your wife are the only survivors I can't reach. She won't talk and he won't admit the crash was bad. He says it was good? Says it was the best thing that ever happened to him. I can't explain it, but you're safe with me. So what are you telling me? There's no God, but there's you? Is he falling in love with her? It's not love. He wants to save her. He's my best friend. It's like he sent me my own angel. He's not an angel. He's a man. I walked away from that crash with my life. That's what survived. The taste and touch and beauty of life. I won't give that up. Let me be part of it. Jeff Bridges, Isabella Rossellini, Rosie Perez, John Turturro, in a film directed by Peter Weir. Fearless.
that trailer, as Levi'd said, is one that we've watched a lot and um, just separately. Uh, and anytime you have, you know, where Streets Have No Name from U2, I mean, that's such an amazing song, you know. Uh, why not play it? Yeah. So, I want to say quickly, yeah. I made a joke or before a joke before that uh, of you know this is a very unfunny movie um not even in like a, a ultra serious way exactly like i mean it has moments of comedy but this is a profoundly spiritual and serious what it's literally about yeah well that image of, yeah. uh, is it profoundly serious um to, to, to describe what the pitch that, of this movie is is very simple, and yeah. IMDb uh, decides to get mm -hmm. the noun verb adjective in there as quickly as possible. A man's personality is dramatically changed after surviving a major airline crash. I think one of the things I really love about this movie, among many, is the simplicity of the idea, but the density in its realization. You mm -hmm. know, um, just to go through some of the facts about this again, Fearless is a 1993. American drama film directed by Peter Weir and starring Jeffrey uh, Jeffrey Bridges. Jeff Bridges. Is Does that it say Jeffrey no, no, Bridges? I just, uh, no, his name is Jeffrey Leon Bridges, yeah, though. Just a FYI. Leon Bridges. Uh, Isabella Rossellini, Rosie Perez, and John Turturro. You know, immediately, a lot of those names I would not immediately slam together in my head. Tom Hulse. Yeah, but I'm like, oh, I'm in, sure. Yeah, right. um, specifically, Jeff Bridges and Isabel Rossellini is a married couple. That's not a, a yeah, pairing like, out and, immediately. And that the son doesn't have Rossellini's accent whatsoever is interesting because yeah. it's like you think he'd have somewhere in between just by nature of being. Now, know. Rosie Perez and John Turturro were both in, uh, uh, oh gosh, uh, Spike Lee's movie. Uh, Do the Right Thing. Do the Right Thing, yeah. of course. Yeah. Uh, that movie, you remember that? It was a great movie. Yeah, it was written by Raphael Yglesias. I'm not sure how you say that name. Yglesias. Yglesias, maybe adapted from his novel of the same name. And I mean, this is a compliment to the movie because I've talked about how I love movies that have novelistic tones. Oh, like Iglesias, like Julio Iglesias. Yeah, okay. Like, yeah. Uh, I really love this movie. It feels like a novel. Like I can imagine mm -hmm. this. It was aspects he wrote of it. this as yeah. a novel. Yeah, and he so he it. he yeah. wrote it himself as a book first. Um. And there's a lot of aspects of it that feel very DeLillo-ian, but it's also very different in other ways. Um, Rosie Perez was nominated for Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for her role as Carla Rodrigo. Uh, Jeff Bridges' role as Max Klein is widely regarded as one of the best performances of his career. Let's talk about Peter Weir for a moment before uh -huh. we get into the cast for this. Um, again, he's a Australian director. Yeah. Um, he's made a lot of pretty popular movies over the years. Especially Grand Total. in America. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as you said earlier, Picnic at Hanging Rock, Gallipoli, Witness, which I always yeah. laugh anytime I see that's the Harrison Ford Amish movie. Yeah. Uh, Dead Poet Society, that is a very widely seen popular movie, and I think pretty good. Um, this, of course. Truman Show is definitely one of yeah. his most popular. That was kind of at the height of Jim Carrey's career when that movie was made. And it also has some spiritual overtones to it okay, as yeah. well. I mean, I agree in in theory, but... Yeah. Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, which we've yet to see, and I've seen bits of, and that has become this kind of big rallying cry movie on film Twitter that a lot of people really love. Um, and The Way Back. also made that movie The Last Wave in Australia, too, which I always wanted to see, but haven't. 
What um, about the cinema of Peter Weir uh, is most you know present in your mind when you think about what his quote movies mean? Well, it's you? interesting because there's different types of them. Uh, yeah. I put them in three camps of the three different movies of his I've seen, which are Picnic at Hanging Rock, Fearless, and The Truman Show. To me, I see Picnic at Hanging Rock, I think a lot of uh, that type of movie at that of that time period, kind of taking the, uh, how you put it, like the, the paperback historical novel, yeah. literary novel, of the 60s and 70s and adapting that about... Uh, it's kind of like the Thornbirds. is a similar thing. No, it's just also about Australia. But that's all this very, like, mysterious and weird. Uh, to say that was a big inspiration for uh, aspects of the second season of The Leftovers. Um, but... Yeah. Um, or that, third season... No, 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 the second. second. Yeah, 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 more popular, but incredibly, almost unbelievably, uh, I don't want to use the word understated again, but very particular and uh, direct, yet not obvious. It's very uh, wise and specific about the way that it tells its story. Then you get a movie like The Truman Show, which is very obvious and and not at all opaque, and at times maddeningly simple. Um, but it has a uh, has a certain reputation for average moviegoers being a little very deep. Uh, no movie. This is know? what uh, being deep yeah. is. Yeah. Um, so. That's all to say that there are different phases to Peter Weir's career, um, and I'm interested in all of them. But this, I feel like, meets the intersection of him at his greatest. Of it's a very popular movie, but is very well. well meaning it's aesthetics. I, yes, popular meaning that it was a big movie that came out in the multiplayer. It was a studio it was like, movie. It was a studio movie. Yeah, I don't mean popular as in it was like. Yeah, let's just you know, real quick. Uh, the budget was twenty million dollars. It made seven million dollars. So yeah, didn't make. Um, Warner Brothers uh, Studios somehow recovered though. Yeah, over the years. But that I give you an example about what I mean about this movie specifically is that you have it open, and it's like after the plane crash has happened, and it's in the cornfield, and it's just people walking around, and you're like, well, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. It doesn't start with the plane crash, and throughout the movie, it shows parts of the plane crash. Itself. And in essence, it almost goes in reverse right. to an extent, as far as the narrative. Yeah. yeah. Um. Not in a way like Memento. No, no, I know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Or irreversible or yeah. something. But that, um, that yeah, and even just the whole beginning twenty minutes, I think, is just literally one of the most perfect openings to any movie in a lot of ways. If it's just him leaving the crash, renting a car, going to a hotel, like not talking to anybody. It's not like, it's not no, wordy at all no, about what's going on. It's just like around. him moving and, and we don't really get right. inside of his head 
in a meaningful way right, and, for a long time and, and it kind of gradually we get a better idea about and really we don't get an idea who he is until the ending of yeah. the movie I mean, he's almost like a ghost yeah throughout the whole thing and so just to describe quickly what the movie's about which we already said it's about a guy who's involved in a plane crash it's like a regular charter you know, plane, well, not a charter plane, like a commercial commercial airliner, yeah. That crashes outside of Bakersfield. I think it was going from, like, San Francisco to Houston, because most of the movie's in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, he lives. Yeah. And he lives like a lot of other people also survive. Yeah. But um, he almost enters in the midst of the plane crash this, like, uh, almost omniscience or this like almost zen calm Mm -hmm. and becomes this kind of heroic figure for saving some people uh by just his more calm demeanor and thinking about getting them out of the the crash um and that but that the kind of cost of that is him thinking he literally by the name is an immortal almost yeah thankfully they don't overplay that in the movie as much as it is in the trailer where it's like oh, he thinks he can never die or whatever. It's not exactly that he doesn't think he can die because he saw all those people die. Mm-hmm. But it's also that he just doesn't care whether he lives and or And I think dies. one of the and central questions, kind of the, the central question of the movie, I think, is what he's grappling with and what we as an audience grapple with when we watch Jeff Bridges in this role is the Zen quality, it seems as though he has it first. But then the kind of moral panic that sets in after a certain point when he realizes, yeah. well, what's it all about? What's it all for if I don't, you know? He's somebody who didn't really have a strong spiritual identity before that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in contrast to Rosie Perez's character who lost her son, who she was on the plane as well, and she feels obviously very guilt-ridden about and, that, and right. she's very Catholic. And she's kind of, and I say this as a religious person, so I'm not meaning to mean this in a bad way. Mm-hmm. She's really clinging to religion to yeah. give her this answer about why my son died, what could I have done. And at first, it almost seems like he's helping her through saying, well, he's kind of basically an atheist. Yeah. I don't really believe in God. My father died, and that's when I, when I was a kid, and that's when I knew that God didn't really exist. He just died. Um And it seems as though almost that he's trying to help her out, but I think more than anything, he's trying to have, trying to get to someone who went through the same emotional and spiritual experience he did and get him to feel just as empty, as hollow as he feels inside. I think that's kind of what the the character is trying to do. Mm -hmm. And his basically inability to do that to her because she's someone who's much more full of life than he is. Um, that really sends him into his the panic in the last act of the movie for him, and his inability to take to bring somebody down to where he is, and that's where, um, he really goes to the point where he doesn't really care if he lives or dies anymore. Right. Um, one of the big kind of emotionally cathartic scenes in the movie, it's kind of arguably at the end of the second act, I guess, if you wanted to like divide it up is when she's kind of basically having a panic attack over the fact that she's still thinking about that. That she had actually let go of him when they were kind of landing. And so his excuse or his his form of catharsis is, well, let's drive as fast as we can in this car at this brick wall. And I want you to hold on. And there's a lot of symbolism wrapped up in this. Hold on to the... Like, like the box of tools yeah. that I I've got I'm getting from my dead father who died all these years ago and that you know yeah. at that point in the movie they're like oh let's go buy 
like Christmas gifts that's around Christmas time. It was Fearless a Christmas movie to uh, <laughs> no. these dead yeah. people in their lives. It's not, by the way. Um, and, uh, you know, that he's just driving as fast as he can and he slams into the wall and hits it and he nearly dies like, you know, like anyone would in that instance. And she realizes that she let go of that and even though he was telling her, hold on to it like it's your baby. Um, and, uh, you know, he in his own way through acting like nothing matters, is his attempt to wrestle control around a, a situation he knows he has no control over. Mm-hmm. And his trying to rationalize how or why this happened, and again, I'm saying this as a Christian, and it's undeniably that my yeah. own Christian lens and way that which I view my own life and the lives of others, so of course there's that. But I think, again, as a Christian watching this movie, I'm seeing this as a man who is trying to mask and charade himself in a it doesn't matter to hide the aspect that it does matter. I just don't know what to do about it. Yeah. You know, and I think I've been beating around the bush. I love this movie. I think this movie's a masterpiece, a subtle masterpiece. Um and from the very beginning, to get to your point where you're saying this is a very serious movie, when you see that Warner Brothers logo and the the score immediately mm-hmm. is like, are you ready for this? Like yeah. grabbing you by the shirt right. collar, saying this is this is no fun and games. Because it like, starts what this with is like about, the you know? uh, the title card is like the words fearless over black, and then in the background is like the smoke and the like cornfield, and it's already just like, what is this? Like mm-hmm. you know, just from beginning to end, pretty much. Um, so yeah, and meanwhile, over the course of the whole narrative, as he's you know, he seems like he he has such little interest in his wife and his son, um, and almost resents them in any way, like cramping his style. Almost is what it feels like in the yeah. vibe he's giving off. Um, is I think a, a terrific explanation and exploration of grief of what post-traumatic stress disorder yeah. looks like because we haven't used that term yet but that's exactly what he's going through well, I mean, that's what they call it, it in the movie of John Turturro and Tom Hulse's characters kind of it, trying to well first of all one of them's trying to just literally connect to the pe- the person the other one is trying to see how much money they can make for the settlement so that's a whole part of the movie too but, yeah but yeah that is what it is the whole time very clearly but yeah um uh, it, it goes beyond that, though, I think, too. I think it's beyond post-traumatic stress of also just these big questions he already had lodged inside of himself. Mm-hmm. But, uh, what do you think about what this movie's saying in a spiritual or philosophical way about uh, what an experience would do to such a person? I love this whole movie, but I don't want to jump too far ahead by talking about the ending. Cause yeah, it, we'll get, we can get to that in a little bit later. One of my favorite endings to any movie I've, I've thought about since I saw it, but especially since I just rewatched it, I've just been thinking about it. There are a few endings that can just make me sit in silence for a while and think mm-hmm. about, and that's one that does that, I think. But that I don't, I don't totally know what this movie's saying spiritually because I think it's kind of in the middle somewhere. Yeah. Because it, I would just verge on saying it isn't an, oh, it doesn't matter. It is an intensely spiritual movie. It doesn't matter whether you are spiritual or not. Yeah. 
the idea and it's not exactly of oh you have to believe this religion or whatever no. i'm just talking about in this more but it is you know, very catholic you know. in certain ways about questioning because i think that is a big part of catholicism that is not as someone of the baptist faith or that, protestants in general yeah, yeah that i very much admire about catholicism is that question of doubt and why are these things happening to me and maybe if i pr- and this isn't a belief i have necessarily but that idea of maybe if i pray hard enough or maybe if I do this, mm-hmm. or does that do anything? Yeah. I think those are all Catholic questions that I'm very fascinated by and agree with that I think that Protestants don't and I'm, have a connection to of that. The normalcy of doubt or a momentary losses or lapses in faith, I think, are important. And for some reason, Protestants are afraid to discuss those things. I yeah, I mean, it, we, we've been groomed um, and raised in the Southern Baptist worldview right. and those are things that are very much seen as taboo basically you don't talk about loss in faith or lapse in faith ever and, yeah and that's yeah i think is a problem yeah but, i agree um anyway that um because we talk about in our church uh, the whole idea of these hard times and things but that's always this unspoken aspect over here about the loss of faith or do i believe in god and questions like that and these doubts and that's something that's just never brought because it's like or why me either right, why me yeah. in the sense of why am I spared of this or why did I befall this tragedy yeah. either mm-hmm. way and the people are and really that's what not this movie is fundamentally in about discussing that yeah. which I am so um so yeah and then the movie kind of ends on this note of uh just thankfulness gratitude. And, and gratitude of that I was in this situation because first of all he saved these people and also he lived because that I think also he realizes right. that his wife is this thing that he's been right pushing away pushing yeah. away pushing right. away that he finally kind of embraces her literally yeah. and figuratively right. in the final um, moments yeah um I really like this the first time but yeah it is and I give it four and a half only because there's certain little minor things but now that we're talking about it i don't know maybe it is that up to a five-star bump i don't know but uh the first time i saw it i was so kind of i think and i think this is natural just put off by the directness of it i was like yeah, even though i love things heavy like this, yeah i was just very like uh i don't really know what to do with this yeah. like you know kind of um but that well, yeah just i've chewed on it ever since i saw it because it's one of those movies i feel like anybody that would see this no matter even just regular viewers would see this and be like, huh, and then they would think, that's, man, that's one I'm going to have to think about. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> we kind of joke about that sometimes, but but that does happen. I mean, that happens to everybody. But that does happen to us as much as we yeah. watch movies still. That there are those, even a movie as simple as this yeah. is like, oh, you're going to think about this for a while, and I have. But I have, especially since watching it too, just constantly thinking about what it means and and there's all these other kind of like i said rabbit holes you can go down with the movie about like uh you know john tatro's character of oh he has ptsd and i'm trying to help him out and then tom Hulse's character like oh i'm trying to get this settlement for the his friend what's he keep died. saying what's his recurring phrase he's, i know i'm terrible i know, I know i'm terrible yeah, I'm, but but yeah. he's, he's um, perfect for this role by yeah. the way too because he plays yeah. an absolute great scumbag that you yeah. want to get rid of at any given moment but also is trying to help but it's this weird mm-hmm. he's a lawyer well that gets to anyway, even what jeff bridges is doing with yeah. rosie perez right he's trying to help her but for his own selfish reasons they're both so trying he can to get some clarity about who he to is. Quantify grief yeah. in either money or like emotional currency. Yeah. It's yeah. weird. 
But uh, and then also one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It's very. It's one of the more obvious scenes, but I really love is where they have that big meeting of all the survivors. Yeah. And there's all these different people reacting in different ways. Like one of my, I think one of the more interesting characters is that guy who just like stands up and kind of interrupts and he's like, I have to, I have to get back to work if this is what yeah, this is going to be. He's got like a suit on he's and very he's very like just guy. like, and, and then it's interesting because you see some of those characters and then at the end of the movie when it kind of flashes back again to the actual event, you see them on the plane and kind of, I don't remember how he's shown, but I feel like I remember him of being a lot more like, you know, scared and, you know, reacting the way a normal person would. And then there's even also but, in that scene the absurdity of the uh, poor mother yeah. who wants to know about her son who yeah. died. Yeah. But that wants she hadn't that talked she, to him for like six months. I mean, they had a good relationship. Yeah, but, time, but she yeah. shows up and, and wants some, uh, some kind of clarity to something that, I think in a logical way makes no sense because it's like, well, he died. Um, what more yeah. do you need? But it yeah. gets to this emotional, you know, I didn't get to see my son this final time. Does anybody remember what he looked like, right? And yeah. the sadness of that. And uh, and even and Rosie Perez, as she's getting yeah. frustrated, she's sitting there right. because she's thinking about the loss of well, her child. Well, then the woman is there, the, uh, the flight attendant that had told her just to hold yeah. him because the seatbelt wasn't working and that, there's that whole question of it's your fault because you told me to do that, and but of course the woman was trying to look right. out for the baby. But then, she, the but kid, then but... she reacts very realistically in something you wouldn't see in most other movies, which is that in a lot of movies it would be like, you know, you're right, I yeah. am at fault. She then is like, no, no, this wasn't what I was. What this was supposed to happen? I was. We were supposed to connect and. I'm sorry, but no, it wasn't my fault. I was just trying to like. I feel like that's a m way mm -hmm. more realistic human reaction yeah. to that, wanting to push the blame away rather than yeah. accept it. But another interesting detail that happens in another scene that's similar to, like you said, about that woman trying to get clarity from that is that them trying to put this monetary dollar on how much pain did the man go through, his friend, and he's asked at All one right. point, like, "How did he die?" He's like, "He was decapitated." He's almost like, yeah. What do you want? Yeah, what do you want from that? Because they're wanting to say how quickly did he die so that they can then put some dollar amount on the so suffering. So he went through pain and suffering right. so he can get more money. Yeah. Easy. and it's like I mean I guess everybody did. Uh, however much. And then eventually money he gets so frustrated. He's all right. I'll say whatever you want. And, right. You know. Yeah. You know. And but that that yeah that whole idea of you wanting to know what happened but then when you're confronted with the reality of the horror of the situation you kind of retract and say oh I didn't want to know that and it's like well that's what happened he was decapitated mm -hmm. like you know and so I think that's all of that all of those elements are things you would not find in most movies like something especially like, not commercially released right, something big, you know, like uh, release incredibly loud and dangerously close or, or whatever that yeah. movie. Uh, extremely loud some, and incredibly close whatever. Yeah, yeah. I don't know I heard the book a, yeah. for that was good I yeah but know. movies like that that are very obvious things about grief yeah. which I haven't even seen that movie but I heard the movie was awful yeah. so um, but that uh, the, yeah you just don't really see things like that about which there are a lot of movies that are about grief in quotation marks but I feel like this is one of the most effective versions of that yeah and speaking to that point I guess did you want to say anything else or you want to talk about the ending or uh, well, I just want to say in general, the whole vibe of this movie and the whole feeling, I think, you know, 
there are a lot of other serious dramas in the 90s, so I'm not saying this is the only one. Mm -hmm. But the 90s in general, over time, have acquired this sort of ironic, detached, uh, you know, vibe or feeling from all the pop culture that generated from it. What I think really stands out of this movie as far as its larger legacy and why it should be more widely seen and talked about is that it is, like, very serious, very direct. Like, this is about a very serious thing that you know, we need to think about and you need to think about how you would react to such a thing. And of course it comes out eight years before the September 11th attacks. Um, And so I think there's a remoteness that this movie probably had to have in 1993 that was not as confrontational as it would be if it had been released 10 years later. Um, But, you know, it's a very different movie, but also has similarities to something like, say, United 93, which is, of course, directly about the September 11th attacks and takes place on a plane and kind of very gripping, grueling experience. It's about another version of heroism, which is self-sacrifice, quite literally. So, whereas this isn't exactly that. um, This is obviously that. I think that's going for a docu-realism. This is going for a much more uh, spiritual philosophical yeah. bit, I wouldn't even you know? say magical realism at all but more about uh, poetry yeah. of sorts like a poetic that, realism right. maybe yeah uh, get to the ending though because we can talk about that well, well the, even before that yeah. this might actually get us there to that ask the question to what extent does Jeff Bridges' character have a death wish in this movie because there's you know where he's early in the movie to test whether or not he's uh, immortal or you know yeah. whatever he goes and sees an old friend of his that he implies he had some yeah, sort of relationship right. with years yeah. ago. And I, that's why I love we don't get some big yeah, belabored it's explanation. Barely, yeah. It's uh, something the characters both know and we only see a, you right. know, a distance for a version of. Um, but he eats like strawberries because he's allergic to strawberries on pancakes. And he's kind of mad that the pancakes are not exactly what he yeah. thought. That's kind of a funny little... That, just bring me the strawberries. And, like, um, and so he's almost like tempting fate with that because yeah. you're like well if you know this might have just been you god saw that you were not killed or maybe just coincident you know whatever yeah. you want to believe but he was not killed you're really tempting fate by even doing that that's a very low grade version of it but mm-hmm. i feel like over the course of the movie it becomes more and more um pronounced in terms yeah. of whether or not he does have a death wish. Yeah, the, We're getting to the point where he's right. standing on the a skyscraper, like yeah. almost dancing, almost like, well, if I fall, so what? you know. Yeah. And then when he drives at a wall where he could easily have been killed by that, which all leads us to the ending where he is eating strawberries yet again. I, that's yeah. interesting. It acts as almost his bookends for the movie. Um, and he's has a, like an allergic, allergic reaction, reaction yeah. that very nearly kills him. To the point where whether he's seeing a vision or a flashback or a look to the next life where he has a choice to make, do you want to live or yeah. do you want to die? Because he's reliving the Because we finally, the at the very crash, end of the movie, you know. see the whole entirety yeah. of the plane Which crash. Which is the scene you heard last week. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and I mean, I think that it's... Yeah, and he kind of sees all that, and then there's this really interesting... It's weird. It's like the survivors all standing or sitting in the uh, fuselage, uh, fuselage, but it's empty. Yeah. And it's just, it looks like it's weird because it doesn't look like heaven exactly, but it's like, it is, it is very clearly, I think a, it's using that imagery to say, well, right now you're either going to the beyond, whatever that is, heaven, hell, whatever, or you got to, you can go back. 
And right. that's the choice. And so up until that to. point in the movie, at this point, I think there have been... He is questioning the whole time, why am I alive? Mm-hmm. After all the things that happened to all these people, and I saved these people due to some weird... And like, that happens a lot where people who so. act in very heroic ways in natural disasters or in situations uh, feel... They don't want the hero treatment, right. and, they, and, they, and they genuinely think that it's and in a lot of ways unbecoming. don't want to even be alive at right. a point. And yeah. so that's kind of what the whole movie's about, I think, is yeah. us recognizing that, um, and him kind of almost playing into that heroism, though, of being this kind of opaque, like uh, Zen martyr, unapproachable like, yeah. figure of like I'm very wise, and yeah. I just don't care, and like, yeah. um. And so, by the end, when there is that moment of his wife is calling to him and he's realizing, oh, what my life even is and why I even ever wanted to be alive, and that he finally wakes back up and is hyperventilating and then hugs her and says, I'm alive, I'm alive, and the movie immediately ends, Yeah, is just one of the most profound and... Uh, emotionally affecting endings I've ever seen because also I think we sometimes I don't want this to happen all the time but we sometimes have strayed away in movies from climaxes being literally right up to the final moment Mm -hmm. because I would even argue that the climax of the movie is him saying those words and the movie's over yeah and that's ultimately him finally realizing that he is alive and that he did survive. Because the whole movie, he never really cries about the whole thing. He never has this big emotional response. So and there's a lot of early him, on he's almost walking around like a ghost. Or right, like a and so you could say the whole time he's in shock or whatever. But yeah. it's like a prolonged shock. Yeah. But that that's finally when he realizes that he is alive. Like, And so I think that is such a profound ending that I've thought about ever since I saw it, but especially seen it. Well, as you said, not many movies have you to that very last moment up to that point. uh, Something that's very different that immediately comes to mind is something like North by Northwest in terms of that's a very adventure-oriented plot that literally is not even exactly totally resolving itself in the final moment, even though it implies what does happen, but it's a very curious ending. But yeah, I think... I agree that not a lot of movies have the the courage to put you yeah. in that place, and not just that place, but over the course of the whole movie, how uncomfortable the narrative in many and ways that, is about yeah. asking these and that questions. And that is a reaction that should have happened within the first two minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. But it takes that long, and you go on this whole journey over this, and then you're like, oh, yeah, finally, mm-hmm. you know. Um but you don't really feel that way about it so much as thankfulness that he finally reached that point. Yeah. Um, because that, and that I think is also a kind of statement to say, no, you need to have these reactions and these feelings towards events like this, or you're not, or it, it proves you're alive. Like, yeah. you know, and it's an uncomfortableness. Now, I think there's obviously that, a, something about masculinity that mm, that's more hesitant right. to come to that point to yeah. realize that the um, femininity is. But no, I mean, I feel like the way we've talked about it has barely even scratched the surface for what that whole ending even means that is very... The whole movie's great, but especially... You know what they say? You know what Billy Wilder once said? You have a great opening, a great ending, no bad scenes, and mm-hmm. then you've got a movie. 
I want to talk a little bit about Jeff Bridges yeah. in relation to this movie too. I, you know, I think a lot of Jeff Bridges. I yeah. said this at the end of the last podcast. I think he's weirdly among our more underrated actors. Uh, he's <laughs> very similar to Jeff Daniels in the way that I think he can do comedy and drama both very, very well. The when you think of Jeff Bridges in the nineties, of course, Big Lebowski is going to be the first thing that pops up, and that movie has a certain reputation for being the spiritual movie. I think the Coen brothers would probably even laugh at that themselves if somebody said that to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anybody would get much spiritual truth from that. Uh, even though it does play into Jeff. I mean, Jeff Bridges has been a version of the dude in other movies um, before, so it's very clearly playing on yeah. him. Um, but he he's he's a he's a like a sports car of an actor. He can do yeah. about anything really you want him to do. Um, and I think. There's been a string of movies over the last, say, 10-ish years where he's more settled into not, and this happens to not just him, a lot of actors, where they're not taking as many risks as perhaps they once were. Yeah, like uh, the last movie I can think of that was like a big Jeff Bridges performance was like Crazy Heart, and that's been like a long Hill time. Hill or High Water uh, was would have been after that. Uh, yeah, but that's a very old man role. Like, yeah, yeah. Know. Oh, well, you mean you mean, you mean no? I mean, like, just like an actual Jeff Bridges, right, right, right. Perf- like yeah, what yeah. in the way that you're okay. talking about. Yeah, he won an uh, yeah. yeah, he won an Academy Award for digital jazz, man. <laughs> I mean, uh, but no, that's why I mean I haven't even seen that movie, so I don't know. But I assume that's probably one of the last big like like you said versatile Jeff Bridges performances. Yeah. Whereas now he's just like in movies. He's and, also even his you know, early like roles. PD. With Enemy of the Pod, right. Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Um, we have a couple of those. Yeah, Jonathan Depp, yeah. first and foremost. Hitler, number one. Well, yeah. yeah I, I'm just saying, you know, yeah. just want to be clear. But anyway. <laughs> uh, but early Jeff Bridges, too. I mean, like, The Iceman Cometh, uh, yeah. John Frankenheimer's adap- adaption of His that. work with uh, Chimino. Eugene O'Neill play. Yeah. yeah, him in that, too. Um, and what I love about him in, specifically, Heaven's Gate how likable he is because everybody else in that movie has like a like something you're sad even Chris Christopherson has yeah. like this life he comes from and what he's doing now there's like context he's just this immediately walks into the movie even though he's running like a like a cockfighter you know what I mean this animal fight yeah. a very nice likable guy in the realm of that um, but just yeah because very, in Thunderbolt and Lightfoot it's different because he's a very cocky young guy That's yeah he's he's good in that oh too, yeah I think he's Clint Eastwood one yeah, of his greatest performances honestly but yeah I, when you said Chimino I wasn't even thinking show, of that you know, immediately last picture show he's in too I forgot yeah about. he's really great yeah. in that too so he, <laughs> he I mean he was really great and you know the thing about the 70s were there were so many other big stars and actors that people I know he's talk in that about. Movie, Bad but, Company by the uh, Robert Benton and uh, mm-hmm. that made uh, that was like a Western Civil War Western, but I've never seen. But he he is a really amazing actor, and um, I think this really is the best performance I've seen him give because yeah. he I mean he's got that he smiles in the movie, but other than when it happens on the plane, because that's a whole other character almost. Yeah, uh, like after the that his smile is almost one of smugness yeah, and one of, I'm going to put a brave face on this truth that I don't totally know and understand. Um, the final moments of him are another, an, an evolution is taking place yeah. of his character in that final moments of uh, rebirth and kind of a rejuvenation of himself. But, and the calmness he has on the plane is when the, you see those scenes, 
is why he left such an impact and an impression on those other people. Because you look at everybody else naturally. I can only imagine yeah. what I'd be thinking is freaking out, is, oh, my God, I'm going to die, like, or, or at the kind of the end of the ropes. And this sense of calmness and serenity he has that he almost spends the rest of the movie trying to figure out, how do I get that back? Because yeah. I don't feel that at all now yeah. after it's all over. Um, amazing performance. Mm -hmm. uh, and somebody that you don't normally think of amazing performances with, which is unfortunate because she's really great and a lot when movies that really decide to spotlight and highlight her mm -hmm. are in, is Rosie Perez mm -hmm. in this, I think is also great. I'm actually shocked in a good way that she was even nominated for an Academy Award. I'm surprised this movie even got enough play to even be... I was just looking here, by the way, too. It was an October release in 93. Mm -hmm. um, shocked in a good way that she was nominated uh, for this. Uh, she's also really great. What quality do you think she brings to the narrative in general as far as her performance, that of Rosie Perez? Uh, like I said, I think she's great in everything I've seen her in. Um, I most immediately think of her with Do the Right Thing in terms of yeah, movies usually, where she's more spotlighted yeah, and highlighted. Yeah, that know. and The Counselor. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. Of course, that movie's awful. Yeah. Um, oh, it's actually a masterpiece. Uh, you know, as people like to say a lot, you know. I'm aware that people say that. <laughs> you not, you that do movie, not agree, you know? <laughs> that's not a reality in which I inhabit, I guess is the easiest thing I can say. Um, whose office you now inhabit? Um... <laughs> But uh no, I think she's really great in this and like obviously plays the big sad woman role, which, you know, is often a uh It's almost a stereotype, but it's stereotype but for this she, type of movie. That's a very hard role mm -hmm. to play though no, in is. reality. Yeah. yeah. And she plays one of the better ones I've ever seen, uh, versions of that, I think. And so uh and her and I think it is interesting that his sanity almost comes at the expense of her deliverance from that. And then he can finally yeah. do that himself. Um, I love, too, the, the weird sort of romance Yeah, they but have also is, what's interesting, you know, too, yeah, is that she, by the end, says, yeah, but goodbye. Yeah. That's that's enough. Well, I think and, she realizes right. that I have a lot of affection for you, but I cannot have you bring me to where you're at. Right. I, and I that, can't he, live and that, that kind place. of shocks him in a certain way, starting to come out of that as to say, oh, wait, but... I care about this person, and now they're not gonna be care about me almost. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that I think she's really great, and in a movie that's already really great, is a big part of it. Um, because Isabella Rossellini's character is really good, but she could get maybe a little more to do. Uh, you know, another thing but, too, I was thinking about with Isabella Rossellini, who, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you're like us, the, one of the biggest things you're gonna think of is Blue Velvet, um, yeah. or even her small role in say. Wild at heart, like David Lynch oriented things, um, or uh, it's, saddest music in the world, for example. It's very strange for her to be the model of sanity and serenity because that's not usually a role you see her play, and so I think that adds a weirdly. You didn't necessarily uh, see her mother play that either, exactly. No, uh, yeah. disquieting quality, yeah. uh, in a meta way to the narrative is that Isabel Rossellini is kind of our life jacket of sanity and that's usually not a place yeah. where you're at with her in the movie so i think she does a great job but again yeah. I, I i think you know i don't really think this movie has quote flaws exactly but no, it's just uh, more of a screen time yeah movie, but, that could be yeah. she could be have more to do or have more of a life other than being the mother and the uh wife you know yeah. there's like she does do all there. that it shows what she does for a living and some of that stuff sort of like a ballet instructor or whatever but mm -hmm. um 
Don't you love how gloriously opaque his job is? Yeah, architect. Yeah, it's like, what, says, are, what do y'all yeah. do? Yeah, I, I mean, not, there's like a moment yeah. where oh, I'm gonna go up and work on. Oh, well, we can yeah. talk about this a little yeah. bit too. Yeah, yeah uh, where sense. she goes. He's that was like, almost oh, like a uh, like a all work and no play makes Jack mm-hmm. a dull boy moment because you almost expect him to be like, how do you like it? Like, yeah. You know, so she he's been working on something. Now up Jeff there. Bridges and Isabella Rossellini in The Shining that would have been something. Mm. There's something. Mm. Him as Jack Torrance yeah. that would have been hmm, that would been interesting. Imagine him just going insane. All yeah. Time. Yeah. His here's Johnny would have been something. At first he would have been like, oh, that, like <laughs> that flipping thing. Yeah, you know, just like crazy. I can actually see this yeah, now. Thinking that's about it. interesting. AI Jeff Bridges ad yeah. in The Shining, like, um, but that is one of the more disturbing moments I think of the movie in a very yeah. quiet way, not in a very no, loud way. No, it doesn't way, like, like make it a horror moment or anything where he shows up and sees her. Anything though that does or, yeah. show uh, Bosch artwork in it is immediately because I, I find a lot of his mm-hmm. stuff to be disgusting, horrifying yeah. in a lot of ways, and yeah. even that, which is not that that I don't remember the name of it, but it's like basically you know that like this big black void, and then it's like going to heaven is basically what it's implying yeah. in the work. Uh, that he keeps like circling. He's, she goes through all this work, and he's acting like he's been working on yeah. his architecture stuff. And then she goes up there and looks, and she's looking through it, and all this artwork of him scribbling this big black hole, which is literally yeah. what he's grappling with the whole movie in a liter- literal and figurative way. And then that's inspired by the the Bosch artwork of almost the opposite, where yeah. everything is in black, and then what the 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 whole itself is is one towards enlightenment or spirituality yeah. or heaven in a roundabout way and so that's a weird uh very clever as far yeah. as the, the the difference between those two things mm-hmm. but uh any other final thoughts about fearless no i just think it's one of the most randomly i wouldn't even say underrated just underseen movies under discussed uh, and just yeah. it's i think it will eventually get there based on uh, Peter Weir, the love of Peter Weir. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I think it's too deep of a movie for people to admit that they love, just yeah. frankly. I, we're just getting to into a more infantile and juvenile culture now where it feels like the time of Fearless has kind of passed us by. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but we'll see. We think a lot of the movie, yeah. and uh, we highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. We've kind of literally spoiled the whole movie at this yeah, point. Yeah, but, but, but as you said, like to talk about it is... Not the same thing, and this is true of most great yeah. movies, is to watch it unfold before yeah. you. So check out Fearless. Uh, we watched, I think, a Warner Archive. Uh, yeah, they Blu-ray put it out the last few out. years, which is good, which maybe had a, made it go up slightly as far as mm-hmm. people knowing about it. Um, more than just a joke in Mr. Six Theory 3000. Another thing, too, I think why we wanted to highlight this, in comparison to a movie we're getting ready to talk about that's well, really well known, is that... Again, we and we've talked about some big '90s movies, some that are more obscure. Trying to say, "Hey, look at this! This is something yeah. from the '90s that I think is a great representation of its time, but also has a timeless quality that uh, it can, makes it continue to be relevant to this day." So, right. check out "Fearless," amazing movie, and again, thirty years this year mm-hmm. in October, its thirtieth anniversary. Now, a movie that is much more widely known and is really great in its own way. Here is the trailer for Groundhog Day. It's Groundhog Day! Groundhog time. A thousand people freezing their butts off waiting to worship a rat. Weatherman Phil Connors is spending the day in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. Phil? Ned! 
Man Ryerson, I did the whistling belly button trick at the high school talent show. Bing! Bing! But Phil's about to find out. He's not just stuck in Puxatawney. Will you be checking out today, Mr. Connors? Chance of departure today, 100%. He's stuck... In Groundhog Day. I'm reliving the same day over and over. Bill? Ned Ryerson? Bang! Do you ever have deja vu, Mrs. Lancaster? I don't think so, but I could check with the kitchen. Well, it's Groundhog Day. Again? At first, he was a little anxious. Bill? What? Will you be checking out today, Mr. Connors? I'd say the chance of departure is 80%. But now, we could do whatever we want. He's discovering the possibilities. Don't you worry about cholesterol? Why? And living life mm. like there's Phil? no tomorrow. Phil Connors! Ned! Because there isn't. I am an immortal. I have been stabbed, shot, burned, frozen, electrocuted. I'm a god. You're a god. I'm a god. I'm not the god. He's out of his gourd. But to get what his heart wants most... What are you looking for, Phil? A date for the weekend? ...means living this day over again, <laughs> till he gets it right. Believe it or not, I studied 19th century French poetry. <laughs> what a waste of time. I studied 19th century French poetry. La fille qui j'aimera. You speak French. Oui. Bill Murray. Andy McDowell. To the Groundhog. I always drink to world peace. Well, what should we drink to? I like to say a prayer and drink to world peace. Don't drive angry. Don't drive angry. He might be okay. Yes! Life has a funny way of repeating itself. What did you do today? Oh, same old, same old. I love how... And here we have yeah, Phil. Like, the and, whole like, thing uh, is... It's Groundhog Day. Yeah. Over and over <laughs> and over and over. Again. And over. Like... You get it. One more time. And over. Yeah. Right, Groundhog Day is a 1993 American fantasy comedy film directed by Harold Ramis for a screenplay by he and Danny Rubin. Um, let's see what else he did. This is the main thing. Danny Rubin. Uh, yes. Um, Hear No Evil. You ever heard of that? Came out same Heard year. of it. SFW. Yeah. This is by far the biggest thing. Uh, He wrote the musical version of I it. I didn't even know there was a musical. Uh, but, yeah. Um, Harold yeah. Ramis is obviously much more right. widely yeah. known. Stars Bill Murray, Andy McDowell, Chris Elliott. Well, Chris... <laughs> starring Chris Elliott. I don't know that that's exactly the way I would describe this movie, but anyway... Uh, tells the story of Phil Connors, played by Murray, a cynic, cynical television weatherman covering the annual Groundhog Day event in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, who becomes trapped in a time loop, forcing him to relive February 2nd repeatedly. So, uh, yeah, I mean... This is another it, very, quote, simplistic premise. Yeah. Literally the idea of, the for this man, the most annoying, stupid thing that he could do, he has to do every day, <laughs> the same day, Basically, for what is implied to be, and what Harold Ramis said he thought of as thousands of years, and it never says exactly how long, um, but 
it, yeah, it's a very simple premise. This movie's been ripped off ad nauseum at this point. Yeah. Um, I feel like, and there might have been versions of this before this. I don't really know, but this is by far the biggest I can think of at, before any up until this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but this has a little bit bigger of a cast. So maybe we'll go through it kind of. Well, quickly. let's just talk about the box office uh, and budget oh, yeah, sure. first. So, I'm curious. It, wait a second. What? That's it. Anne Rice book inspired this supposedly. I have to look at that in a second. Uh-huh. I wonder if it's um, got a similar plot. Maybe. Uh, so it was made for fourteen point six to thirty million dollars. It made one hundred and five million. So it yeah, it's you know, made a lot of money. Um, hang on, I'm gonna look into this for a second. So there's a book called The Vampireless Stat. Um, and it was kind of a, uh, yeah, like a sort of counter narrative to interview with the vampire. Okay. Um, and I guess it's kind of about similar things. I don't really know. I'll look more into this later. Um, but. Yeah, the movie's very simple about he wait, he goes through the whole day of covering Groundhog Day for I think it's the fifth time in a row or something. He's also, a he's named Pitts, Phil. Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah. You know, that, there's and, an element right. to that too. And it's basically about he's got this new producer going with him, played by Andy McDowell. Um, and he just clearly doesn't care about any and of it. she's bubbly and energetic right. and she's new at it and he's like, this is old hat, this yeah. sucks. This is the last year I'm doing this. Like, mm-hmm. you know. So he's thinking thing. about quitting the the station, going somewhere else. Um, actually, it was, I just looked here, this ran mostly shot in Woodstock, Illinois instead of Philadelphia. Uh-huh. Um, but, or in Pennsylvania. Uh, right. Well, Western Pennsylvania. Uh, oh, that's what I mean. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, Puxatawney is what I meant to say. Not Philadelphia, which is on the whole other well, side feel, yeah, it's, yeah. of the state. A lot of, of feels going on yeah. up there. Uh, they are the feel-good state, famously. Not really. <laughs> Matter of fact, a lot of people come down here for yeah, certain I know reasons 20, actually. other than the cold. Um, but uh, I want to just Google feel-good state and see what else state months came up. Anyways, I'm sorry. We keep going. Hang on, I want to see this. Feel feel state cannabis game. <laughs> what anyway? All right. Uh, so yeah, and like basically he wakes up and finds himself within the same day. The same situations keep happening to him. All the people uh, are yeah. literally going through their same routines. They're going through the same bits of dialogue that were already in their subconscious to give. Basically, right. and there are different versions that happen from that, but it doesn't matter because it resets every day. He tries to kill himself eventually in multiple ways and lives and it literally keeps resetting i think the first thing he tries to do is break a pencil and put it by the clock and then he wakes up and the pencil's not there Mm -hmm. so it's like yeah um but and basically the whole point of the story by the end is him falling in love with annie mcdowell's character who he's attracted to early on pretty much Uh, at least in a purely physical way right um but it gets to know her but the 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 kind of twist of the whole thing is that he starts every day at the beginning of their what is on in her mind the beginning right. of their relation or the beginning of their basic even acquaintanceship yeah in any formal but sense. he would naturally every day learn right. a little bit more about her yeah which he then is able to build and finally right. get to a point yeah. where he understands uh, who she is but yeah and that's basically the movie is him just at first trying to get out of this situation 
but then finally just being content with being in it until the end, which, you know. Yeah. Finally, the very end of the movie, is he gets wakes up and it's uh, February 3rd. Right. One of my favorite images in the movie, by the way, is the part where it's the clock. It's uh, after he kind of wakes up and she's there, and then it pans over, and the clock says 6.01 on it instead of 6 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And that's almost like literally a statement of like time well, has and also forward, in that like, final one you know, that uh, they play the same song again, yeah, which he literally heard. And they're like, "Oh, wait, like, oh, yeah, we did that last yesterday." Well, yeah, and it's it. like he's heard it literally for thousands of years, the same song, yeah, you know, that Sonny and Cher song. Yeah. Um. But anyway, as far as the cast, we'll go through quickly. We've talked about Bill Murray in the past. I don't feel like we need to add much here. I think this uh, is one of Bill Murray's yeah. both best movies and best yeah. performances. Mm-hmm. And I think why, and this was before his quote, Bill Murray gets serious phase of the right. late 90s, early 2000s, uh, before he worked with Wes Anderson or Sofia Coppola. Um, but I, th- and you know, working with somebody he worked a lot with by this point in Harold Ramis, uh, I think this is one of the best Bill Murray performances because it still plays on the Bill Murray of the 80s that most people would know and remember, movie star Bill Murray, but it allows him that personal growth and kind of beats the cynicism out of him yeah. and his character by the end just by pure repetition and nothing yeah, else. Right. Other, I think a moral of the story of this movie in a lot of ways too is uh, he's not a good guy in the beginning and just by sheer literally being forced to be patient over all this time, he becomes a good guy. Yeah, because, But it's not yeah. something that was naturally going to come to him right. just by beating it out of him basically yeah, over all this time. That's another interesting thing is the very... And it's kind of the last act, more or less, kind of starts with him trying to, uh, basically, he has this long conversation with Annie McDowell one night where he's actually convinced her that this is going on by literally saying every single thing that happens. And she basically just inspires him to say, you know what, even though none of this matters and I can't get out of this, I'm just going to start doing nice things for people. And saving people from these various problems. The one thing he does fail to do is save that guy, that homeless guy from dying. That keeps happening no matter what he does. But he, like, is able to help. There's a kid that, like, falls out of a tree, and he helps him. And then there's the uh, Brian Doyle Murray's character's choking on something, and he gives him the Heimlich Maneuver and saves him. And then also learns piano. Yeah. And what's funny is he learns that slowly, but then the woman, every day, he comes in more advanced. And she's like, oh, well, you're, you're actually really good. And then by the end, she's like, oh, he's the best I've ever had or yeah. whatever. And, like, that's what's so funny is you can contain all this with him one day. And then that, you know. But uh, but that by the end, he finally decides, you know, that he is actually going to do good is ultimately, I think, what gets him out of the situation. But yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it's a really good performance from him, I think. Annie McDowell is Rita Hansen. Uh, she uh, is good in pretty much everything I've seen her in. I normally think of her in this and then uh, Sex Lives and Videotape. Um, and she, oh yeah, she was also in St. Elmo's Fire. I forgot about that. Um, I think she, you know, she, she, in, she in general, cuts too. I forgot. In general, that. she played a lot of roles. The thing about her and Michael too, with uh, mm-hmm. John Travolta, that you know, I think part of it's her accent as well. She usually plays very sweet, uh, honorable, happy characters, and you know, th- again, there's this fits into Bill Murray's 
dilemma as a character in terms of what he's playing is that I think there's a point where he's, you know, physically attracted to her in the beginning. But then he reaches a point where he's like so put off by everything. And then he enters like this nihilistic phase where none of it matters. And then he goes over the hill and the hump of that and realizes, you know what, since I'm here, why can't I be the best person I can be? And the whole time she's this unchanging person because literally she's, you know, the same Mm -hmm. place every day. So, I think she acts as a great foil to him in this movie because she's able to be nice but firm with him in terms Mm -hmm. of all these evolutions he's going through, but she's mostly staying the same. And I really can't think of a better actress that could have played this role than her at this moment because she really checks all the boxes of what this character demands. Mm -hmm. So she's terrific in this. Yeah, uh, we'll go through the rest of these a little bit quicker. Um, uh, Chris Elliott... Uh, we've talked about him in the past, too. Friend of the pod. Yeah, he's he's not in this a whole lot, but he's pretty good. I mean, he's just, just an idiot guy. He's know, the cameraman. Uh, right, but at the end, it's funny when they're, like, betting on men and everybody, and he goes up there and he's like, oh, yeah. And, like, <laughs> and everybody's just, like, looking at him like, no. Woman gets him for, like, 25 cents yeah. or something. <laughs> Stephen Tobolowsky is Ned Ryerson. He's probably one of the most iconic, famous things to come yeah. out of this movie, how annoying he is. Yeah. And he's like this insurance salesman from his past, Phil's past. Yeah, and he and doesn't really remember him at all. No. But, but then know. it's one of those things like he then builds this one-way relationship with him where he knows everything about him by the end, right. you know what I mean? And ends up buying all this insurance because yeah. he's like, well, it ain't going to matter anyways. Right. I'm just going to restart. Yeah. But then there finally is a February 3rd. So when yeah. we call him back, it's like... Uh, uh, actually, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, he's he's he really annoying, but in a but I mean, way. Stephen Tobolowsky's been in tons of things. This is probably one of the things he's most associated yeah. with, though. Is I mean, this test this, you effing quack. Yeah, Brian Doyle Murray, he's not really in this a whole lot. He's, he's like kind of a master of ceremonies over, yeah, he's, yeah, he's not really in a whole lot of it. Uh, let's see. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the main folks. Rick DeCommon shows up, he's always funny to see anything. He's in the burbs, where I don't want to think him in. Um, but yeah, so that's pretty I, much one the thing case. I want to say about just this general premise and idea, um, or the Groundhog Groundhog right. Day itself, which I, we mentioned in the past. That's uh, our great aunt Sarah, who was like a third grandmother to us. Her birthday was on Groundhog Day, and we used to call her up every year and ask if she saw her shadow, as you know, yeah. whether or not we'd get more winter or not. Um, you know, we live in a world that after this movie has existed, you know, yeah. Uh, can you even think of this holiday and not even think of this movie at least at least a little bit? I mean, this oh, yeah. movie is now so associated with yeah. that holiday. And I mean, I think it was clearly chosen as a joke about right. like, yeah, this like, stupid thing. This stupid Imagine having thing. to do this over and right. over again. And so that's interesting, I think. That... But there is this sense of repetition that I think naturally the premise fits with that day again of this thing that we're doing over and over again and it doesn't seem to have any real immediate meaning right uh but nonetheless is something that you know is being repeated again and again and again and again um and i think the central question of this movie i I think if you just hear the premise or see the trailer you wouldn't immediately get this but seeing the movie multiple times do goes again to the point of bill murray's character's uh dilemma how do i get out of this what does any of this mean 
And then again, after we after we said he reaches a sense of nihilism where he eventually gets to the point of, you know what, my life should have meaning just outside of this. I'm going to become a better person. I'm going to work on myself, not just in the sense that I'm going to learn an instrument or I'm going to learn French or, you know, I'm going to know and understand this world in a way that no one else does, yeah. but I'm going to help people and be a better person just because. Yeah. If I this is my reality, why can't I be the best person I can be? And I think that's a very optimistic, but in its own way, natural progression yeah. of being alive. Being alive, yeah. you know. Because I think that's the metaphor, yeah, about like we think of our lives as the same thing over and over. You know, and the same per- people right. and the same circumstances. Yeah. And, and, but it's like, why? And you think, oh, what's the point of all that? But then it keeps happening, whether you want it to or not. So then, like I said, yeah, you have to just eventually come to And a lot of people don't yeah. uh, ever come to that. But those are the people that live forever, I guess, because they're mean. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. And right. what mo- what connection do you think this has with It's a Wonderful Life? Because that's something I thought about while I was watching yeah, it, too. Yeah. I think that's similar because it's it's looking at the most basic everyday just aspects of life that we take for granted that happen. In both of those, you get to see, first of all, what would it be like if they didn't? And then the other is, what would it be like if they happened all the time? And mm-hmm. it's kind of the opposite, but it's meaning the same thing. Of You have to take joy in those things because that's what life literally is because... To these people, this just is a life they've lived once. You know, mm-hmm. a day in their life they live once. You have to keep living it. So it makes you think about that. Like I said, with It's a Wonderful Life, it's literally saying, all right, if you weren't here, here's what life's going to be now. Mm-hmm. And here's how terrible things are. And, you know, yeah. so, yeah, I think they're very similar. You know, I never thought about that until you mentioned We didn't it. really say anything about this as the movie was going on. One thing I think that why this movie's going to hold up over so many years and continue to get better and better is its total disinterest in quote solving the mystery of why yeah, this is yeah, happening. Right. That is never at all real. I mean, he's he's naturally saying, "Why is this happening?" I don't yeah. know. But there's like no MacGuffin to quote unlock. Yeah. I think a movie today would like it would be some stupid Ryan Reynolds Netflix movie that's attempting to do a version of this. And there would be a mystery that has to be solved and unlocks this key that takes right. us here. Like, that would be the dumb version no, of I mean, 2023 very, that would be done of It's this. very Eastern and very Zen similar almost to what we just talked about with Fearless about he gets to literally Nirvana by being that best person. So it's a very Eastern philosophy in that way of like you have to eventually work and then you can become your best person and then you move on to yeah. uh, the next day like yeah. <laughs> in this case. But yeah. But, you know, for him, Nirvana is exiting this. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think that, yeah, I think that's a metaphor for those kind of ideas about life. And I'm glad the movie ends when it does, that there's no questioning of what goes on now. Because as we talked about, even if it was hundreds of years, right, that yeah. this all happened. Or even decades. Yeah. 40 years worth of life, like, right. let's just say, happened. Um, you would be such a wise and mature soul that even though, quote, life will now move on and continue and you won't know every little thing, you will have such a density of what life is, an understanding of what life Mm -hmm. is, that there wouldn't be any real, I don't think, regrets or, uh, like... 
there wouldn't be any major backsliding yeah. of that person. We kind of debated happen. that and both agreed. I think by the end we were talking about it is like, yeah, you can't go through all that and go back to the person you were. It's just impossible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you can't be alive that long and. Yeah, you're a totally changed man by that point. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah, because I mean, even if it was several decades, I mean, he's going to live a few more decades of life, but that's still going to mostly pale in comparison to what he had just experienced yeah, as right. uh, going through all that. Um, and another thing too to talk about the nineties of this movie, because yeah. I was talking about this with Levi. One thing I was thinking about was when I think about nineties comedies, and I actually love both versions of these things. Whether it be Coen Brothers esque dark comedies, or again the kind of the ironicness of the '90s, or whether it be like gross out humor of say the Farleys or the Fairleys, yeah. which I again love those movies too. What I really love about this is that it's something a lot more heartfelt and something that again it takes a very cynical character who is getting so sick and tired of the same friggin' corny town and yeah. the same corny people and the same corny festivities and going by the end of, you know what, I'm going to find the beauty in this. I'm not going to be negative. Instead, I'm going to realize that all these people are well-meaning, lovable people and that they are worthy and deserve my love and that mm -hmm. I should be changed because of that. And that, again, I think legacy-wise in terms of how this movie fits into the time period it was made in, really is wide endures and is a movie that can be as deep or as simple surface as you want it to be while right. you watch it uh yeah in that way um i'm not sure if we had quite as much to say about groundhog day that's we been did, talked uh, about a lot fearless so. but any other things that kind of sum up about no groundhog just day? that it it uh i think is one of the best movies i've ever seen to do with so much with such a simple kind of idea that you heard in the trailer plays to that whole like well it, he's got a surprise in store, like you know that kind of like narration that actually is like really great and actually uses it because there's been all these movies that have been made since then that that are literally this mm -hmm. that don't do anything. It's just uh, pretty much like whatever. There was the Tom Cruise action movie. Um, oh gosh, oh, what was the well, name of it? Edge of Tomorrow, yeah, yeah. and it got renamed as Live, Die, Repeat. And that movie's not as good as this, but it is a, a pretty good little action movie that's clever enough. Uh, again, I don't think as good as this mm -hmm. is, but uh, I do also think, I don't know a whole, whole lot about the production of this movie, um, but I think that there's actually a lot of stuff to read about, which I'd actually be interested to do. Um, there was a lot of tensions, yeah, between Ramis and Murray, as they were making well, this, they uh, Ramis was focused on making a romantic comedy in direct contrast to Murray's desire to make a more contemplative film. That's another aspect of this we didn't exactly say. It is kind of a romantic comedy in the mm -hmm. midst of everything else going on, even though don't exactly think of it in that yeah. way. Uh, said Murray, you know, I heard this before, was in the middle of a divorce. He was miserable throughout filming, demonstrating erratic behavior through tantrums and often contradicted Ramis's decisions. So there was, I don't think they really worked together again after this. This kind of was the end of their yeah. uh, relationship. Is that why there's no Ghostbusters 3? No, that's just because uh, Sense found its way into the Ghostbusters uh, Uber and was like, no. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. So. It's the, it's the Stay Puff Marshmallow, man. <laughs> like, well, it sounds like. Like, I'm so happy that Dan Aykroyd will one day be dead <laughs> just to prove that no one is immortal, okay? <laughs> 
He is in, was he fearless now? I don't know, but you know, we'll we'll find that one day. Um, what if he outlives us? What if Gary Busey has been living the same day over and over all this time, <laughs> and we didn't know that's what's wrong with him? I mean, he still know. thinks it's 1982 somewhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, he he still thinks it's like late 80s. Did I get the part in Lethal Weapon? Like he's always living in that reality. He's not sure right. if he did or not because he was shown the Lethal Weapon show. Oh, right, right, yeah, yeah. That was great, like, (laughs) yeah. Wasn't his son in that or something? I don't know. Probably. It's trash. Anyways, Groundhog Day is not trash. Groundhog Day is a very fine film. So that wraps up another episode of Overlapping Dialogue. But don't go away, because Jeff... Sit down. Sit down. Imagine Jeff Probst, like, saying that in the tribal (laughs) council, like... Sit down. Now. (laughs) Like... Jeff, what have we got next week? Stay tuned for scenes from our next episode. Come on, Maggie. Come on, on, girl. Hey. What are you guys doing? We were just going to go on ahead and be by ourselves for a little bit. Oh. Yeah. It is our vacation, and we haven't been alone together all that much. Thought you guys were running out on us. No, uh uh-uh. I think that's exactly what they were doing, Terry. You're right. We were. It's it's just not working out between us. Why is that? Because your son wants to be with me instead of you. Rourke, come here. Look, I'm taking my family, and we're going to go down the river alone. That, that's what we're going to do. I'm, I'm sorry. But we'll send somebody back to get you. Who died and made you stud dick all of a sudden, Tom? You go get in the boat right now. Wade, rangers come down here all the time. You could hook up with one of them and get to Bridal Creek ahead of us. And what if I said, I'm not going to let you go? What would you do? What would you do, stud? Hey, 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 hey. hey. Just gonna talk to him for a sec. I don't want to fight with you, Wade. Oh. Wade!
most unexpected duo. One of these movies we have not even seen, but yeah. it's got our boy, David Strathairn in it, The River Wild from 1994, and another boy, Jack Nicholson in Wolf, also from 1994. Mm-hmm. Uh, why are these two movies, Levi? Uh, <laughs> well, first of all, I had bought a DVD of The River Wild and wanted to watch it. Again, we're big so Strathairn heads. We were just like... Yeah, let's just do that along with some movie in 1994. And Wolf, we had to pick just because... Why not? Wow. Uh, <laughs> we watched this a couple of years ago, Wolf. Um, and that's a very simple premise, more or less, about Jack Nicholson is a literary publisher. Yeah, I think so. a werewolf. I'll never forget. Let me um, just say, the first time yeah. this movie was introduced to me in any way, our uh, dear cousin Philip, is when I was in high school, I get a text, all caps, Turn to AMC. <laughs> Jack Nicholson is a werewolf. Yeah. I was like, what? And then I turned yeah. it to AMC. Sure enough, I see him around, in a tree yeah. jumping right. around or whatever. And I'm like, and I kept squinting. I was like, there's no way yeah. that's Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Indeed, it was Jack Nicholson. No, but uh, it's literally one of the weirdest movies we've ever seen. Yeah, um, because you get back, get to the yeah. point when you were talking about what quote weird movies yeah, are so to most I, people I wrote versus a long what this review is. of this movie, which we'll probably talk more about next week, and it's one of my more prouder reviews I've written. I say that I don't try to be on here to self promote or anything, but but um, I the, remember reading it and being a really great review. Uh, just kind of, I think of movies as you know, people talk about what's a weird movie. You know, usually David Lynch, and it's like David Lynch comes up, or like Andy Warhol stuff, yeah. or uh, whatever. You know, Tim Burton, he's weird. Like, yeah, a goofy artist. Uh, yeah. He is weird, but okay. Um, but when I think of a weird movie, I try to think of something like this, which is the intersection of multiple different strands of ideas. Yeah. And multiple different. They do not immediately uh, associate with each other. Tours and artists coming uh, genres. together and genres to make something wholly original in its weirdness. Um, I think of this movie a lot because it's Mike Nichols, who had been known at least for a long time of making a lot of comedy movies or sort of uh, more uh I recently just watched Postcards from the Edge, which and, is an amazing right. movie. Postcards from the Edge, and I'm thinking, <laughs> which I think every time I who's afraid see of Virginia that, Wolf? Yeah, or stuff from the stage, mm-hmm. or like you know, different. He started stuff. off obviously as a you know comedian. Yeah, comedian. And so, but this is something different because it's a horror movie in quotes. I mean, it is a horror movie. I think I shouldn't say that it isn't. But that it's it, also like uh, dramatic. But yeah, and, and it's shot really well. It looks like a million bucks. Like it's one of the best looking movies of the It also has uh, it has some sort of a relationship, I would say, with the erotic thriller that we talked yeah. about when the eighties yeah. and nineties. Of that kind of yeah, type of movie. Uh it's all of those things and more because then it has James <laughs> Spader as this like weirdo adulterer. By the way, yeah. his follow-up for this was The Birdcage, the like oh big comedy God. with Nathan yeah. Lane and Robin Williams. Wow. Um, and Primary Colors after that. What? That is a movie. Go wow. look at Wolf again. Isn't it like randomly long or something? It's uh, 125 minutes. Oh, so never mind. Right it hours. feels longer than yeah. that, though, doesn't it? Cause it mm-hmm. And I don't mean that as in it's too long. I just mean it feels like there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Like a lot. Any yeah, more Coney scored? Don't Michelle forget that. Pfeiffer's uh, character in this again. Or, I, I mean, her father. I mean, sorry, um, Christopher Plummer. That's it. Yeah, it was like Christopher Plummer is the dad in this. 
But um, anyway, it's just we'll talk all more about it next week. A profoundly strange, weird movie, perverse in, in, in every a, way. Weird way yeah. uh, going back to the River Wild quickly, we haven't seen that, but I do want to talk about it briefly. Uh, that's essentially about these people that go on this kind of family dad wife, son, that go on this... Family on a whitewater rafting trip who encounter two violent criminals in the wilderness. So, and it's like about them trying to get back Mm -hmm. to whatever. Kind of survival. It's kind of like what we... It's kind of like Deliverance, but with a family, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, so, I'm actually excited to watch that because Strathairn and... John C. Riley also. Streep and... Yeah, Kevin Bacon. Yeah, and it has the kid from Jurassic Park. In it. Yeah, literally yeah, like, when we the scene that yeah. we had in there was the first yeah. time we were wa- right. watching it actually. Yeah. Uh literally everybody in that scene is a known. Yeah, and I was like everyone in, in this scene literally it was yeah. like wow. Um but I mean maybe maybe we can talk again about bad girls don't cry they get or big girls don't cry they get even just because <laughs> he was in that, you know. You know, I feel like we really got wasted on the uh, matchup of wits of uh, yeah. Gregory Dunn mm-hmm. or no I'm sorry Griffin Dunn, Griffin Dunn. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking of John Gregory Dunn yeah, his yeah. uncle Griffin Dunn and David Strathairn like we really got cheated out of that in that movie that should have been we didn't even need a good movie we just needed them to really you know like have a problem you know it would be good yeah. if they were like uh, we needed them they to needed, have, a, have a laugh you know what I mean <laughs> those two need to be in a buddy comedy of some sort but, like, yeah. time travel in the 90s and do it then. Now, yeah, you can do that Yeah, too, it's but. all right. But it would be very, like, going in style. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we're old, and we've got a we've got a race to our uh, colonoscopy. Yeah. You know, or something like... I don't know. But. So, the connection between these movies, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, essentially, <laughs> from two weeks out, we're looking at, like, a, it's kind of a take a walk on the wild side kind I of, mean, like, yeah. vibe, you know, it's, that they both share. It's going to be wild. <laughs> Any final thoughts on uh, anything? No. School's over for a little well, while. You know what? we got to play the song School's Out for Summer here at the end. Just do to, we have it. to? I think I, we do. I, I, we, okay. I've said it now, yeah, so well, now it's got to oh, do it. Crap. Because I literally heard it yesterday because they always play that every year at the end of like... You know, I'm even a minor Alice Cooper fan. I'm not a big fan. Well, I like, seem like a cool guy in general. Yeah, I'll say his that. music, I'm all right enough. He had with. a collab with Jake the Snake Roberts now, at one point. Feed my Frankenstein is not that great, but but anyway, got out of breath from that one. Like I said, he um, had a collab with Jake the Snake. I heard that Jake. song, but you haven't. So here, unless you just happened to be there yesterday, I was not. I was in but, uh, Newton, North yeah, Carolina. But anyway, or like a week ago. Mm-hmm. When you're hearing this. Yeah. But yeah. Anyways, this is Kyle. This is Levi. Take care. God bless. And enjoy your summer. And feed that Frankenstein, yo. With that summer gun. Oh,
Bye.